Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by our phenomenal sponsors. Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the game, guarantee on germination and satisfaction. Why would you go elsewhere? They got all the hottest breeders and the latest drops. Likewise, a big shout out to Coppet Biological Systems. They got all the beneficial microbes, all the beneficial predator bugs, and the feeds to keep the good army alive. Go check them out to make your next harvest a success. Got mite problems? Grab the Spidex Vital. Got aphid problems? Grab the Aphipar. Also, a huge shout out to our family over at the Patreon. If you want to be a part of the lifeblood that helps make this show happen, getting early access to episodes, exclusive unreleased content, and prizes, giveaways, so much more, go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. On this episode, we are joined by the meme master himself, the head honcho of Freeborn Selections. You know him, you love him, he's got the lime, he's got the cherry, Mean Gene of Mendocino, here to talk all things breeding, history, and so, so much more for a two-part epic. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Alrighty. So, a big thank you and welcome back for part two from the breeder extraordinaire, meme master himself, and the guy who I like to think of as the Elon Musk of cannabis, Mean Gene. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Glad to have you back for a part two. Our fans have been very excited for this one to happen. So, the first thing I want to ask you, what are you currently smoking on? Currently smoking on... Let's see, right in front of me, the latest stuff that I got, which is not really that late. I've had it sitting here for a little bit. Um, I got a really cool uh, L.A. Confidential from uh, from my friend who does uh, Tyler at Buds and Roses. He gave me some of this uh, L.A. Confidential. He said it was a nice run, and it's kind of cool. I'd always wondered. I heard that they use this thing they call the Affy. Um to breed that and it was really interesting to get it because it's actually probably about the closest weed I can remember seeing to what we call black affy up here which makes me wonder if there's any relation or if it's just that it's that good kind of uh darker coffee afghani type I mean it's it's pretty common in California afghani so that's kind of out of out of the ordinary because it was a it was a gift, but um, pretty stuff, really nice. Yeah, that's an interesting strain because a lot of people talk about how that really special affy mother you mentioned was replaced in subsequent releases of that of the LA con with something else. I don't suppose you'd ever tried the subsequent releases that people weren't so impressed by. Um, this one, I assume, just judging by what it looks like, I assume is the original one, although I have really no ground to stand on on that, except for saying that it really has an old, old Cali Afghani 
um, look. It's very similar to what I had that was the Hindu cross black affy back in the day that I made. And um, the black affy itself was a little less resinous and then crossed with the Hindu kind of beefed up the resin content. And uh, this was like pulling out. They could have told me, oh, I had I, I, I kept some of those seeds and I grew this out. And I, I would have thought it was the same uh, Hindu cross uh, black affy. So that was kind of cool, but I don't remember ever seeing anything from the later ones. All I know is the first time I saw LA Confidential was at a point that was 2007 and 2007. Yeah, that would have been 2007. And I only remember because it was like the first time I went to the Emerald Cup when it was still a little event. And, um, it was still at the area 101 there. And my friend who has uh, a company now called giving tree genetics, which has really nice stuff. Um, he had it and he had just come back from Amsterdam and he was like, yeah, I got all the different stuff over there. And this was one of the nice things. And it, it's called LA confidential. And we had never heard of it. We had never heard of DNA. We had never, we didn't really know anything about any like seed company stuff other than like old Neville and, uh, seed bank and so he showed it to me and what i remember about that particular one was that it was like a really sweet fruity og and i was like wow this is this this is fucking bomb like it was really really nice weed and he had grown he had brought the seeds back and grown it himself and he's a really good grower from down the road from here and uh you know kind of makes everything shine and so it was like that was my first experience with it and so I kind of expected something like that when I saw this and then to see how much it was like the black affy that's why it kind of made me think like oh so maybe that LA affy was very similar to um to the black affy you know so oh wow that's a that's a cool little rundown on it all Something which has always piqued my interest, especially when I hear the term LA Affy and Black Affy in general, it makes me wonder if this is the same sort of Affy which might have gone into the creation of Urkel. I just, at least whenever I hear Urkel, I always think Black Affy. Is that sort of what you think, or do you feel like they're, they're kind of a bit different, actually? Well... I mean, the way genetics work, it's really hard to be able to call that kind of stuff. Um, somebody like uh, uh, Inspecta at CSI would have a better idea of what's inside the gene pool because of um, because of S1-ing that, because of selfing uh, the Urkel. What people, I think, don't know, there's a... There's a belief that a lot of people hold that if you take something and you self it you get a bunch more of the exact same plant but the reality is when you self something it's the most extreme version of an inbreeding you can do which will reveal anything recessive that can pop out and um of course show you also those 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 dominant things that are in that plant so you get a picture of what the parents were and you even get a picture of what the grandparents were and the great-grandparents probably you know he he might have a better idea but i've kind of seen what he posts from it and i've grown crosses of it and uh 
inbred those. And I haven't seen anything that I would say is anything like what um, the Afi was that I had, the black Afi, or what obviously is the Afi that's in this LA conf. Um, it, uh, it has more sweetness and um, Urkel, the really, really impressive thing about Urkel to me was it has a uh, kind of a rose, a rose oil and a lime peel and um, things I associate with like fruits, fruit loops, Flintstones, vitamins, artificial flavor, candy, things, and a nice little dose of some skunk on it, which people don't think of it as, but when you have really nice outdoor Urkel, it gets this little bit of skunk over the top of it. And, uh, you know, the Afi that I had was more of a, more of a earth spice licorice incense. Um, and that's the same deal with this LA con. So I would say, you know, that the, that the, the Urkel, I wouldn't be surprised if it has something that's Afghani in it. Cause it's very short, um, and stout and bushy. It grows sideways almost, almost faster than it wants to grow up. Um, and it gets, it gets nice big fat buds if you grow it right, like an Afghani. So I wouldn't be surprised if it has um, something like that in it. I kind of, you know, this is on a tangent, but when I was about nine years old, I went to Leggett to this lady's house. And this was when, this was when the movie Willow was brand new. And I watched the movie Willow there and when we were chilling there, she pulled out some pounds of weed. And this was when I had only seen a little bit of dried weed, really, like, and had any interest in it. Because you're just at that age where you're not just a little, little, little kid. And I looked at it, and it was what she called the purple. And it was more of a red purple than a blue purple or a black purple. And it was purple from the inside out, and it had this particular sweet smell. And that was the first time I had ever seen weed that was purple. And so it had this impact in my head, like, whoa, that's crazy. There's weed that's purple. Because to me, it was always like, oh, pot, it kind of smells like hippies burning sage, and it's green. And then I saw this, and I went, huh, it smells like sweetness and fruit and it is purple. So that was really, really weird to me. So I remembered it. It's like probably the first weed I really remember anything about as far as features, besides it being some green shit in a bag, you know? <laughs> and so in about 94, 95, uh, a lady who's a really, really close friend of mine who, who I consider like my aunt, who actually moved up from Santa Cruz when my mom was pregnant with me in, uh, in uh end of 79 early 80 um she moved up here and she had a place and when i was uh for freshman year um i moved up i lived with my sister for a while and then my sister moved and when she moved i still wanted to stay in school because i didn't want to go back to sonoma um where i'd been living for eighth grade and so she was cool enough to say, Hey, you can stay in my cabin. 
So I stayed in her cabin, and she and her neighbor were growing this clone. And she showed me the weed and offered me a little bit of it. And I said, oh, this is crazy purple. I go, is this, is this thing from so-and-so in Leggett? And she goes, yeah, I got it from the neighbor over here. How, you know, have you seen it before? And I go, yeah, I remember it from years ago when I was a little kid. I remember this smell. As soon as I smell it, I get this nostalgic smell. So she had it at that point. So not only did I see it when I was really little, but I saw it about five years, six years later. And it came from the same lady. So it was like the same thing, you know, it was a friend of friend. Of, both of them are friends of my mom. And um, now when I smell Urkel crosses, cherry pie crosses, granddaddy crosses, um, things that are in the cherry pie, things that are in the gelato, there's this common smell they all have, even in a little bit of the purple in my pina. It's that same thing, which I call the smell Leggett purple, because that's where I originally saw it, uh -huh. and from this one from this one particular lady. Now I'm fairly convinced that whatever that clone was, and I believe it was probably some kind of a killer Afghani clone or something. I think that clone was probably the mother of everything that people now call like the perps smell, like granddaddy all that different stuff. And the only other stuff that I ever saw different than that that had a real name on it that would give you any idea of origin was the, the purple purple Nepal. And um, I don't know that that was necessarily, that was really Nepalese weed or if somebody just thought that sounded exotic and slapped a name on it. But long story short, I think because of being having that knee-jerk reaction of deja vu when i smell these smells and it's sending me back to when i was young like that i think that that clone was probably where all these other purple things came from because if you look at that and you go it was already something in 89 being grown by several people and by the time 95 came around it was still being grown uh, you know, a, a little ways down the road, not that far, but far enough away from Leggett to Branscombe. Um, it had to have circulated quite a bit. And I saw 94, 95, probably 95 for the last time. And Urkel seems to have surfaced about 96 in Redway. Um, so I personally think there's some connection there. And I tried to see if that clone was still around. And the lady, I still see her sometimes in the store. And she runs a, she runs a little business um, down the road, a little spa business. Probably not there anymore, unfortunately. She said that she gave it to one person in Canada years ago and that he might still have it. And I haven't ever really checked back in on that. But I, I really think that that was where all that shit came from. Um, and I couldn't tell you what that was, but it is very different in that the Afi is more of acrid, sometimes has some garlickiness to it. It's more deep and licorice sometimes, but not like Jaeger or something. And then, um, it has like a resin where you think it's not resinous, but then you smoke it and it chokes you. It's like, it's coated in resin instead of frosty. <laughs> 
Whereas this old perp thing and the Urkel and all that, it has a more visibly, you know, it's resinous when you look at it, it doesn't trick you, you know? So I think that they're, I think those are kind of two things that are, uh, parallel and, and, uh, unconnected just based on, um, my experience with both, both gene pools. Wow. What a comprehensive sort of breakdown on the Afghani lineage and purple strains in general. I mean, there's so many avenues we could go off in. The first question that kind of comes to mind to me is that sometimes when we hear these stories, what kind of starts to pan out from them is that rather than what I used to mistakenly believe in that we started out with like these really shitty clones and just through miracle you get that one in a million and it's a bit better and then it gets a bit better. It sounds almost like the opposite was true in a way in that like the older stuff was possibly the best and sometimes it was retained in quality each generation but sometimes it went down. Would you generally agree with that sort of logic or how do you see it? I think, you know, if you go to places... um you know, it's neat because you get to kind of follow it a little bit um, with with some of the people now who share things. Uh, like uh, um, Deepak, uh, what is it, uh, Irazin, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, Irazin, yep. Uh, it, it, when you follow him around, you look and you, you, can, you can watch people take these fields of stuff that's hardly fed, hardly, dry, hardly um, watered not really dried the way anybody, you know, who are our contemporaries would dry their head stash. It's in the sun, you know, it's maybe leaned up in a room. It's put in huge piles. It's passed through. And if you know anything about hash and you look at the resin that they produce in these piles, you go, wow, that's actually really good fucking resin. And the the, the quality of, cannabis comes from the resin it's not about whether or not you have a flower that looks a certain way and you you look at these places that are traditional producing countries and um you know it's it's been said for a long time that they don't have anything anymore all they have is a bunch of bastardized european remakes of other stuff that was given back to them and their gene pools diluted but i know the older original afghani types because when i saw them here they were only had been bred maybe two or three times and even if they had been hybridized with newer stuff those ones still pop out and i look at stuff that he posts like right now from kandahar and i'm like that is the same shit we're growing like that is cherry pie that's cookies that's like the things that people think are so modern um they're there and they, uh, they're not really grow like, you know, I've grown things a lot of different ways. And when you just leave something, you can have a clone of something that's exceptional. And if you just kind of put it out there and you barely water it, you barely feed it, then it's, you're just like, yeah, it's, it is what it is, but it's not, it's not going to look like a crazy Instagram picture of some fucking quote unquote Zaza, you know? <laughs> and you you can look at stuff he's posting from Kandahar right now and you go, dude, if you grew that indoor or in a depth or just really took care of it and grew it outdoor, like you would be looking at that and going, fuck, is that 
what is that? Cherry pie or runts or gelato or all those things that people are like, oh, these modern things are bullshit. I'm like, they honestly just seem like the old shit from back in the day to me, you know? Um, and then I was just talking to somebody um, today or yesterday, and they were talking about the old stuff that we had around here. And growing up, I always thought that it was like so, so long ago, you know, because it's like, oh, it's 95 and they're talking about 84, the import from 84 or, or 81 or whatever. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. That's the old school stuff. And now that I'm not 15 years old anymore, I'm like, dude, that's fucking yesterday. The difference in, in breeding, if you import something in 84 and somebody makes seeds two or three times and then you see it in the mid 90s, like it's still the same fucking weed. You're not going to get that far doing enough breedings just to make it be um, fresh seed. Because, you know, in the, back in the day, people didn't just make every make seed every year and try to improve it. It's like they got some killer Afghani or Pakistani. They brought it here. They made seeds. They seeded a whole plant. They grew them for a few years, and then they went, you know what? We should probably make seed again this year. So by the time you're seeing stuff, it's only been displaced three, three or four breedings at the most from 84 to 95. So my own opinion of how all that plays out is that some people in basically from the 60s to the 90s, really to the, to the early 80s, got their hands on things that were already killer. They made more seed. They grew them well. They selected the females a couple times that were a little better or maybe a lot better than the average. And all of a sudden, they had these really, really knockout strains that today are what we consider everything that's killer. And then at the same time, through all those years, people took things and they bred them the other way where they had something that was really great. And then they turned it mediocre because they thought, man, this is too stinky. It doesn't look crystally enough. It, um, you know, it doesn't quite have the right thing that we're looking for. And they bred away from what actually made enjoyable killer weed in their pursuit to try to make what they thought was what weed should be, but they had a weird idea of it, you know? And uh, so I think there was two directions. I think they started with killer stuff. They started with bad stuff. Some people made the killer stuff more killer. Some people made the killer stuff less killer. And some people took the bad stuff and thought they made it killer. And it just was like, you know, going in a weird direction because they had these strange ideas like, oh, we need it to be stealth. It can't smell. Or we want it to look frosty. But they didn't realize the resin was in the heads and not the fucking stalks of the of the of the the trichomes or whatever, you know? So, uh, I mean, that's my take on it. I don't think that what we call modern cannabis is nearly as far displaced from traditional cannabis as people think it is. I just think there's a lot of places where they had stuff and they were happy with what it was and they kept having it. And there was other places where they had really crazy killer weed and they just kept it that way. And different people over the years um, wound up with these different different things from different places. And some people have the luck to get something from Kandahar or Dakar or like different places where there was these really good things. And then Mazari, you know, Mazar or other people, you know, got these other things and they went, oh, this is, you know, Colombian. And it's like, yeah, that's not actually the good Colombian. It's 
you know, and then the names stick and it leads people on all these goose chases for all this stuff. But I think that all the best stuff is only a little bit different now than it was way back. I think if you had the best stuff in 1983 and you pulled it out now, people would be like, oh, yeah, that's just as good as the best stuff is right now. And then recombining things. So so say you find something like the Black Affy that doesn't look resinous, but it's ultra potent. And then you cross it with something that looks very resinous and is ultra potent. And you add the potency from the one into the one that actually produces more resin. And now you have more of what was already ultra potent, I think that's when you get something like OG and Sour and Chem, where, you know, you had you had the luck of these combinations. And I think that's what the modern stuff really stepped it up to was going, okay, well, you know, and I think that's where the magic of breeding is, is going, okay, we have this thing. Imagine if it doesn't look resinous, but it'll knock you on your ass. Imagine if you can make that same resin be produced in larger amounts. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, you know, this is, this, this stuff's really crazy. So there's like a little level up I think we did, but I don't think it's what people think it was. I think it's, I think it's uh, overrated a lot as far as what, what modern people did. I think that the Afghani people and people in Pakistan, Thailand, Vietnam, and all these other places had already made stuff that by today's standards would be really fucking good weed. But, um, you know, people rediscover it in these gene pools and they think it's different because they did it now as opposed to then. And that's, you know, that's my take on that. Yeah. What, what a bunch of solid info there. I think, um, looking as we speak at the uh, eras and posts you talk about and god you're right some of these plants look almost exactly like cherry pie and cookie sort of things it makes me think are you excited or interested in exploring some of this stock that Deepak's found and if you were are there any of your own lines that you would be interested in sort of melding together with some of these um you know land race afghans yeah, I'm really interested. Um, I've been looking at the stuff that he's collecting right now in Kandahar. And to me, it looks like really what I've always been looking for when I was wondering, like, can you still get real Afghani seeds? And people would always say, no, everything's gone. Every Everything since after the Soviet invasion is bullshit. It's all been brought in and everything's everything's everything sucks now. And I'm, I'm looking and... You even look, just using critical thinking, you look at these areas and you look at these people and you go, so you think these these people really had these thousands of years of tradition of, of holding these things and then someone showed up with some bullshit and all of a sudden all their shit just turned to shit? I just don't believe it. And then you look at the weed and you go, they didn't have anything to bring from Russia or Amsterdam that would have been this. Not to mention that even if they did, if you're familiar with breeding with some of these types, these things are ultra dominant. Some of these Afghanis, like these Afghanis could just stomp on the outside genetics and turn themselves back into what they were to start with anyway, <laughs> because they're, they, 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 that, that's how they behave in a gene pool. You know, um, they're like what I call the bullies, you know, they just come in and they just bully everything. You're like, okay 
go ahead, cross something with deep chunk and see if you get something like what you crossed with. You're going to have more deep chunk. Do that for a few years and you're just going to be back to having it again. And, um, I, but I don't think that's the case. I think, I think it's the case that, that, um, there's a lot of people who were isolated there. And I think that, uh, a lot of people who went to try to rediscover the old stuff went to little markets and they got bullshit um, tourist fucking seeds that weren't really what was the real deal with the real people. And the real people are probably pretty intimidating if you're if you're not from there and they're probably pretty hard to approach. And you have to have people who um, who could really access the right people and the right areas and, and get in there, you know. And so uh, I think it's really crazy stuff. And I, so I, I'm really excited to dig back into it. And I have stuff from him and a couple other people who have collected uh, from over there, uh, like Land Race Legacy and uh, Afghan Selections. And, you know, I'm going to dig in there and see what's there. And I'm also excited about some of the other stuff that Deepak did, which is like the, uh, the stuff like the... Um, you know, there's 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 a couple other ones like the Low Lab and the uh, and the uh, Manipur and a few other things because I look at them and I know the background on what I have a little bit and then I look at these things and I go, oh, that seems like maybe there is some shared heritage there and so you know that's a really cool way to. Um, reinvigorate things without adding something that is really completely outside so I, I do have some plans to dig into those I think this coming year I'm going to get into a lot of Afghanis and then a few other oddball things too and uh, see what we can pull out of those and then try to just get those out um, to a lot of different people you know so that they can uh you know, so you can keep the gene pool um, more diverse. And and I think when I look at some of the stuff, it's like it has what people what people want. And maybe if you do big, big selections from them, you might be able to go, okay, well, this is still without hybrid. There's a thing that everybody does. They get their hands on some seeds and then they feel like they're, they're going to be doing the wrong thing if – they make more seeds pure, like they're stealing. And for me, it's like, and I'll say this right now, just for anybody listening, if anybody gets my seeds and they like them and they want to make more seeds, don't feel like you're stealing if you make more seeds that are the exact same thing. You don't always have to hybridize everything. When you hybridize everything, then you lose what you started with. So I try to put out things that are fairly true breeding so that if somebody gets their hands on something, they can make more pass them out they can get you know they can they can get circulated and you still wind up having that preserved gene pool that's that's not crossed with everything else and i always kind of cross things together um with certain goals but it's not just because i want to make it be different than what i started with if i get something and i already really like what it is i want to make more of that pure to have and to share and um you know, it, it, it can be considered unethical to make more of what someone had and then just sell it because it's like you're kind of undermining people's um, business that they have. 
but there's nothing wrong with making more pure and handing those out and sharing them and all and all that kind of stuff. And I myself personally don't care if people make more of my same seeds pure and just sell those. I don't give a shit. Like I tell people to do it all the time. Like, um, you know, that is how you keep having the same breed um, around and not have it go go funky. Because I've seen most of my favorite things I've seen over the years, they disappeared. And somebody will go, oh, I have that. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, cool. What is, they're like, well, I crossed it with this. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. But it's going to take a lot of work to get back to where you started. So, like, for me, I want to take those things, make them pure, hand those out, and then take them and maybe work them into what I have at the same time. But I don't want to just always hybridize. Like, hybridizing to me is just getting away from um, – from having what you already had that was good you know so i just want to throw that out there because i notice it's what happens people get something from me and they're like yeah i made a bunch of seeds and i'm like cool what'd you do and they're like well i put it on this i put it on that i put it on that i'm like did you put it on a couple of the females of the same thing and they're like oh no no i didn't want to i didn't want to be a biter and i'm like that's cool but if somebody took my stuff and made more pure i'd almost rather have their selections back of the same thing that they made different than I might have made it, but from the same exact thing than the new hybrids. Because as soon as you do that, now you're back to a whole new process again, you know? So that's that's my plan with those kind of land races. I want to make more pure, and then I'll do some other stuff on the side too. But I really want to circulate those things so we preserve them. Because you gotta keep um you gotta keep them around in their in their original state so that you you can have them. Because they're a huge part of our human heritage is our is our plant uh, the diversity of our plant varieties and when you lose those it, it's it's fucked up you know yeah sure and I mean if we go back to something you mentioned a little earlier with the black affy Hindu hybrid you used in some of your crosses in the past. Do you have access to those genetics still? And would that be some of the stuff you might want to cross with these Afghanis? Well, so here's what's interesting. I have a lot of seeds of the straight black affy. I have a lot of seeds of the Hindu cross black affy. I have a lot of seeds of the Hindu cross black affy cross Hindu. Back cross to the clone, which was what right now I would love to plant. Some of those plants had like this, uh, almost like a gardenia smell to them, but with like a coffee skunk at the same time. To me, like probably the best kind of stuff that I ever made. And that is really similar to what wound up making like root beer and jarro. Um, that was the starting point, was the Hindu cross black affy. But those seeds are still alive, but not viable enough to sprout. So... I've had a couple good leads on labs to be able to do real tissue culture and I talk about it again and again and I'll keep on talking about it because that's what we really all need is to get somebody who can take a couple cells living out of a seed, turn them into callus, grow them into callus, take those just like you do with mushroom mycelium, take one plate of callus, make a hundred plates of callus and then start hitting them with hormones to get roots and shoots so you can get plants to get back these original things and mine I know are good because as soon as they got to the point where they wouldn't quite sprout all the way, I stuck them in the fridge 
and I've checked on them, and they're really good as far as being alive, but they don't have enough vigor to be able to grow as a normal plant. And some of these things, if you do get them to pop up, they pop up, but then they don't have a meristem. So they only, they come up and they have their seed leaves and the seed leaves open and there's nothing there. And sometimes that happens and you can leave them sitting there for two or three months and eventually they'll grow a branch even from under the seed leaf or from the middle and it just takes a really, really long time. And if they'll do that, it's worth doing that with them. But the ones I have will only get a tail and then they'll peter out. And I can't get them to get past that point and so I'm not going to waste them on that. But um, I do have um, I do have like what I call root beer and what I call jarro. And if you plant a lot of them, then you do get the throwbacks that are like I have a clone right now that's a throwback to the Black Affy Hindu, and it's one of my favorites. So we we smoked some fatties with my buddies came by the other day, not the other day now at this point it's a fucking time warp. It was probably a month ago, but um, we smoked it. And after sitting there for a while, we got about two thirds through the joint and everybody was like, whoa, this ain't normal weed. Like we, we got a funny high right now. This is some different shit. Not to mention it's very tasty. It's very hearty, just really, really killer weed. And, um, so like it, there is that. And so I can take these killer Afghanis and breed with those throws that are like that. But there's a trippy thing in my brain where just because it's the same plant, the difference in in the actual makeup of the genetics and the provenance and the story and tracing it back, like even though I know I can pull Afi Hindu out of Jaro, I still want it without the sour diesel and the and the PK in it. And for me, a lot of that is because um people assume that things like the root beer are killer only because they have the headband in them and the Hollywood pure kush, which are these famously potent killer plants. But what people don't know is that if you had just smoked the black affy crossed with the Hindu, which kind of predates all that other stuff and goes back to the eighties, when you smoke that, that was just as choky and, you know, had the great high and all that. The plants just didn't get as big. And that's what led me to hybridize them with these stretchier things that didn't water down the potency. But they didn't necessarily really add any potency. It was already really, really dank at the point just with the Hindu. Um, so I, I do still want to get those back. I'd rather work the pure Afi and the Afi Hindu with these land races, then pull out the plants that match the description, but in reality aren't the same thing. And that's more, it's more academic. It's not going to be a different product and it's not even going to be more practical, but it's just a thing of being like, Ooh, this is pure. This is the pure shit. It's a funny, uh, it's a funny thing in the brain where it just makes you, makes you want that because of the story and because of what you know it is. And I think a lot of people kind of share that enthusiasm for, um, for like purity of, of, of lineage and provenance and, and stuff like that. It's a, it's a funny thing, but I do want to dig in and do those things. But in the meantime, um, I'll definitely be doing some hybrids with the things that are the later crosses and, I just released something that was the what I call special indica 
crossed with, uh, it was a ghost OG cross special indica crossed with special indica. And I gave out some of those for people to dig through and find those old affy types and what I call big blue. And, um, you know, but it, it just, as soon as you put OG in things, it's like everybody thinks it's good because it has OG in it. And then there's no way to, there's no way to explain how good the old stuff was when you've put OG in it. Um, so like, I really want to get back into the old, old ones so people can understand that better because they, they the, the old stuff really is as good as the new stuff. But how do you tell people that when the old stuff doesn't exist, it's all crossed with the new stuff, you know, it's a funny, uh, a funny thing. Yeah, certainly. I think there's a lot of merit to that idea you just referenced with people on this never-ending quest for the pure stuff. And I mean, speaking of the pure stuff, I don't think I've ever seen as much demand for any one particular strain as what the public has for your root beer. Is there any chance people might ever see that in pure form or are you looking to do crosses with it? The thing about the, uh, the, thing about the root beer is that it's... And this is this gets into a whole other a whole other thing. So if you look at growing weed in general, for me, when I grow weed, the best way for me to do it is to take live soil and put it outside under the sun. And I can grow you. 500 pounds for probably $2,000 tops. You know what I mean? Wow. Now, people want to take, and that's what I'm talking about, like with overhead, you know, of course, I'm not going to give it to you for that. But if I was going to do it, I could do that. And people go to do that indoors and are already looking at huge power bills. They're throwing away piles of cocoa or rock wool in most cases, not that people don't grow soil indoor. A lot of people also throw away their soil, even if they do grow in soil. They're paying for all these foods. They're doing all this different stuff. Um, even when you're in greenhouses, the level of issues you face with pests, um, humidity, you're running dehumidifiers, you're using supplemental lighting in some cases, a huge amount of stuff, all basically to have something that people will be able to look at and go, ooh, wow, that's fancy. And it's kind of ironic because you're going to literally light this shit on fire and throw it in a fucking ashtray, which is probably about the dirtiest fucking thing in the world. Like if I'm frying on mushrooms or acid and I look at an ashtray with dirty roaches in it and shit, I'm like, that's, that's the funkier shit. But you're taking this thing and you want it to be the most pristine and shiny and frosty. And it has to have all these, all these things going on with it. Um, and all said and done, if you take something like root beer and you grow it indoor, it doesn't even develop quite the type of resin and funk that it does when you grow it outdoor something like urkel even og i feel like is really good indoor there are certain things that really indoor they kind of live up to their potential whereas outdoor they might be more potent and choky and um have a little bit more of a richness to the smoke and the flavor but they're they're different 
um, and they don't they don't get they never get this kind of bag appeal where you open a, a pound of indoor Urkel when it's done well is so special. And a pound of outdoor Urkel, while it's really special if you can appreciate it, it doesn't have the same impact and interesting uh, profile that you get indoor. So my point I'm getting at is that root beer is interesting because it's only really fit the way I bred it to be outdoor because I bred it outdoor and I selected it outdoor and it was the nastiest, best, most practical thing to be a large plant outdoor. And people, when they buy seeds, they generally want to be able to put them indoor, outdoor, and adapt whatever it is. And I understand that because that's what's practical. But root beer is a funny one because if I back cross to it endlessly and make it just be straight root beer, it's really unstable inside and in depths. And people have heard this again and again because I always fucking say it. But I have this thing where I almost don't even want to fucking get it ready to be indoor because I almost feel like if people are that excited about it, I should just leave it as outdoor so maybe people will grow some fucking outdoor and realize the outdoor is chronic if you have the genetics that are really, really good outdoor. Um, and so I might release it as an outdoor seed. I'm getting all the time. I get a little bit closer to not really wanting to have anything that is unreleased or that I keep to myself. Um, but what's interesting is that it can seem it can seem greedy for people to look and go, okay, well, you won't let it out because you just want to have it. But there's a weird thing that happens with value where, like, I've still never made anything off of root beer for myself. But I've probably been able to bring in, I mean, I don't want to put a number on it, but there's been a lot, a lot of help and money that has gone to charity so far. Just by being able to leak out a little, oh, this is this cross with root beer. This is that cross with root beer. And it's a weird thing because if I ever release it for myself, then that would undermine that because it doesn't bring in as much. But it's like it's almost better to leave it unreleased so that it can leak here and there as different things that can be more helpful for people, even though... I can't do a charity for myself really because I'm not, that's not how that works, but it's hard to give up that leverage of knowing that you have something of value when it can be really helpful. Um, even if it's not helpful to yourself, because for me, like I don't like, I look at it and I go, yeah, I could just release it. If everybody has it, I feel like pretty soon it won't be that. Like, when cookies first came out, you could sell a clone for five grand or a tray of clones for five grand at least. And now people are like, eh, cookies, whatever. Maybe if it's the best pack of work something and you auction it off, maybe you get a few hundred bucks. But it's still the same weed it was when it was 5000 a flat. Root beer has that little bit of hype and following and all that. Um it has this value and it has this leverage of people wanting it to where it, it makes that amount of money. If I release it for myself, nobody's going to pay $5,000 a pack, 
But if I release it for charity for other people, people will pay way more than they pay for anything else I have. So it's almost like if I let it out and I give it to everybody, I lose the ability to have that leverage with it for it to have the power it has. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like, cause I didn't ever think I'd have anything worth shit. People didn't even want to grow my seeds in the nineties. You know what I mean? And I gave a lot of seeds to people in the nineties who grew them and made a lot of money. But a lot of people then was only four or five people, you know? And now at this point people are like root beer root beer and there's root beer madness and i'm like well i can release it but it'll just be another thing everyone has like cookies if i don't release it then it has this thing where it's like hey if somebody's really fucked i can help them by putting out a little bit of something crossed with root beer so i'm up in the air dude and i know it's a weird thing and the way my brain works is kind of like fucked up because I overthink everything and I mean I'm sure you can hear the wheels turning just as I talk about it but that that's kind of like how I look at it is like I want everybody to have it I just want to release it and that way I know it's preserved and it's out there because it's really it's really good weed like it's very enjoyable it makes you feel good it grows crazy it's fucking gorgeous uh, the plants they grow really fast and, and and all that so for outdoor I think it's really good and I have like, dude, I have so many of the back cross three seeds now that I'm like, okay, this would be a really cool one to put out. But I just look at it too, where it's like, okay, if you put everything out, then after a while, um, because I do a lot of the charity stuff, it's like, it, it's almost like, well, I would be able to benefit from it hugely. But then I, I try to figure out, well, what do I have that I could put in for this charity stuff that would still create this kind of a buzz and this hype? So it's fucking weird, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know, dude. That's a huge run-on shit, which I'm totally probably at this point fucking known for, like fucking Kevin Jodry or something. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's my, it's my take on it. It's just it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing, this whole, this whole hoarding hoarding versus whoring thing you know you don't really know um you don't really know what to do with stuff when you have something popular i don't have a million popular things i have tons of seeds but you see there's only interest really in certain things so i uh i always try to measure it out and do the right shit and i don't fucking know it gets at, at a certain point it's tiresome and i just want to be like dude everybody can have everything do whatever the fuck you want with it and then i won't have to even think about it anymore you know but i also want to be like i want to use the energy that's behind something to be the most helpful and not just to make a quick buck you know it certainly does sound like it's a double-edged sword and uh, I think the community has seen a number of instances where you're trying to, you know, uh, walk the line of, as you so poetically said, hoarding versus whoring, which is definitely my new catchphrase. It's brilliant. I love it. So for sort of the more aspiring breeders, we might use root beer as an example because it's kind of what I've noticed this with. If someone did have some work that they had made and they were sort of proud of, I'd noticed that like with root beer, for example, you had a bunch of projects already finished, you know, in the bank ready to go. And so you were kind of one step ahead in that regard. And then I noticed that there was a number of your sort of closer friends who had the root beer cut. 
do you feel like that might be a good sort of duality of like you're getting it out there enough that people can hear about it and stimulate it um some interest in it but at the same time it's not you don't have to be too worried about giving it out because you're kind of a few steps ahead would you advocate for sort of an aspiring breeder who's made something and they're looking to get it a bit more popular or a bit more notoriety do you think that's kind of a, a route in which they could do that or how would you advise people so it's an interesting thing. I mean, I had that and I smoked it for a long time and it was pretty unknown and I knew it was really, really, really bomb because I would try to smoke other shit and I'd wind up just putting out the joint and rolling up a lime one or a root beer, you know? And so I was like, okay, I know that it that it's really, really good. And I gave it to a friend of mine and I said, you know, you'd probably really like this. What had happened was he had grown, he had grown some of it crossed him and his brother had grown some of it crossed with the, uh, with the chem dog special reserve. And he was like, man, he goes, you know, I had high hopes, but it just, it wasn't that great. And I'm like, dude, you, it must not have been a good cross then try the clone, you know? And if, if you like it, keep it for me. So in case I lose it, I can get it back, you know? So I gave it to him. And he grew it, um, him and his brother, and they were like, yeah, it's, it's fucking fire. And he posted it, and all of a sudden, it was like everybody was like, root beer, root beer, root beer, root beer. And I was like, huh, I guess it's a really good name, and it's really got a pretty color to it. And it just, it just kind of sparked imagination. Like, you can't really predict what will be what everybody really latches onto. It's like people who make songs. You know, they make an album and they go, this is the hit. And then it turns out this other song they thought was going to be, you know, it was going to flop. This turns out to be the one that really, really is the hit. And uh, it, it wasn't that I didn't think it was that it was really, really killer weed. It was just that it was funny because no one had smoked the weed. And they heard the name and they saw the picture and it was popular. It was the strangest thing to me because... Had they all smoked the weed, I would have understood that, yeah, you guys understand. But it only took the name and the picture. It's such a fucking weird thing. So, like, um, it definitely is really, really important that if you have something that you want to popularize, you can't be the only one with it unless you're already really, really well known. And, uh, it was like this guy's account that was my friend, uh, Southern humble turp farm. He had an account that must've had 60,000 followers or something at the time or 40 or something like that a lot. And, um, it was just like, once he posted it and said it was really good, then all of a sudden it was really good. And I was like, wow, that's crazy, because I thought to myself, had it not been really good, I think people would still think it's really good. But I also think that most people knew that if it wasn't good, he wouldn't have said it was good. You know, it was like, you know, him and his brother had killer shit. Uh, his brother makes really, really killer uh, live resin, was one of the first people to have really crazy big fat jars of the of the best live live resin figured out kind of the the the, the tricks um 
to get the Terps to separate and everything that was a little bit ahead of the curve. And um, so I think people kind of, there was like a level of trust there and that helped. But I think that you do have to be able to have things out there. There's no way you can just have it and say it's good and everybody will believe you. Of course, some people will believe you. And of course, people who know you in person and they've seen what you think is good. Like that's what I like to look at. Like if I know somebody and I know they only really like stuff that I like as well, because it's all up to preference. But if if that's the case, then I'm like, okay, I got to see it. And then I'll believe it's killer just because they said it's really killer because I know we agree on certain stuff. But um, you got to definitely let stuff out to an extent. But like the root beer has only been grown by Southern Humboldt Terp Farm and Southern Humboldt Concentrates and Skunk Tech. And me. Nobody else has ever grown it. And they've only grown it for one run apiece. And for some fucking reason, the name, the pictures, it just got this mythology. And it's really funny to me because coincidentally, it really is like my favorite weed to smoke along with the Lime One. But it doesn't make any sense to me. It's a really strange thing. So, um, you know, like that was only a little bit of circulation. It's really, really not, it, it hasn't been out there. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I, I'll, 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 I'll tell you straight up, you can do whatever you want in life in general, and you can try as hard as you want and you can do all the right shit. But if you don't have good fortune, if, if good fortune doesn't fucking smile on you, then, it it doesn't fucking matter how hard you try but you got to try because if you don't then if good fortune smiles on you you won't have shit to shit to fucking display when the fucking when the sunshine hits you you know so you got to do your best but it's really weird because i don't feel like uh you know i don't feel like everything that i did with you know whatever fucking breeding root beer yeah it's killer it's it's great i mean it is it's not that it's not but at the same time, it none of it makes sense to me. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that um, people think I'm any kind of a person to listen to about what's good or that if I bred it and I think it's the best, like, it's, you know, it fucking means anything, you know? It's really trippy. I just, I think a lot of what works out for you has to do with whether or not you have the luck of it happening where something gets a little bit of shine, but you do have to do all the work and you have to just keep trying, 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 trying different things, different flavors, different crosses, different moves, sharing things with different people, fucking just trying your best to be okay. And, and, you know, be an all right dude with some okay shit and, then maybe something takes off because you can listen to that right there with the root beer. It's like, what, how is it popular? Like, you're like, yeah, it's, it's this, it's one of the most, I'm like, I don't fuck. Nobody's even grown it. Nobody's smoked it. For some reason, there's just this mythology. So that's why I always joke. There's, there is no root beer. It's not a real thing. It is. It's real. 
and it and I have seed that actually you can grow them and they'll all fucking be root beer, you know. But um, the facts don't really support the outcome. Like the the even though everything, even though we know the weed is the shit, the plant is the shit. It's like, but but how do people know that? Why did it connect? I have no idea, dude. It's just like people who make a hit song and they go, I don't know. We made it and everybody latched on and fucking Jimi Hendrix made Foxy Lady and for some fucking reason people thought that was a shit. He didn't want to even fucking play it. At least the root beer, I like it, you know? But um yeah, but you you gotta, you know, you gotta shoot your shot and and do and do the work and then, you know, everything else I think kind of fucking handles itself it all just pans out to be what it is it's that's a weird that's a weird thing though i wanted to dig into that so people really understand though it's not it's not about it's not all about just having perfectly executed plans and um all this it's just about trying 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 doing your best doing your best doing your best and then see what the fuck happens because you can't there's no recipe other than um trying your best trying your best is the is the master key to fucking anything working a little bit you know interesting stuff sounds like there's some formulation out there and while we may not know it it certainly seems like you know hard work good genetics and luck are certainly a bit of a mix in there it's interesting if we just jump back to a question we spoke about a couple questions back. You mentioned how, you know, people will see headband or OG in the mix of the listed genetics and then all of a sudden it, it like gets them interested. I was interested in asking you, I've noticed you tend to work a lot with both Ghost OG, which I've seen in some of your more recent crosses, as well as with the Skywalker OG, which people will probably remember is a big part of the sky cuddler kush would you say that these two are your favorite ogs and if you had to pick one or the other what would be your absolute favorite og to work with within your projects okay so the original my original experience with og which when i first got it i thought was the original og um which is fully not true it's not even a pure og but the hollywood pure kush is the one that is the most present in my work and that's because i got it before i had anything else and i think i got it 2004 2005 um now that one is um neat because you cross it with things and it doesn't uh Crybaby Organics was talking about this on a post the other day. There are certain plants that you use as a mother for seeds where when you cross to them, it, it adds something without taking something away. So for me, using the Pure Kush was interesting because it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't, it's not a bully. Um, you cross with it. And whatever male you hit it with, most of your seeds come out smelling like the male side. But um, in the case of all the things that I used with it, which were these squat indicas, which tended to want to get bud mold, um, they didn't yield a lot in a large pot. I was growing 
medical gardens where you can only have 25 plants. You want them to be as big as they can get. Um, it made things more rangy and it didn't dilute their potency. And in some cases it added to their potency depending on what you were using. And so that was the one that I used. That was, um, that was the prevalent one in my crosses. Now, something like sky cuddler kush, I took uh, big red, put it on Hindu clone, put it on pure kush. Then I put it on Skywalker, but I took that and I put it back on the Pure Kush again, and I really like it. The thing about the Pure Kush is that it's a finicky plant, and something like Sky Cuddler Kush has so much PK in it that if you grow it good and you know how to grow OGs, just like the Pure Kush clone, the Pure Kush clone, if you grow it well, you get these huge buds that are caked in resin, that are super dense, that are super loud. And when you smoke them, you're like, wow, there's not anything else. It, it, it's literally the flower is more potent in your chest than most hash, which I had never really seen before that, except maybe on the black lime or on the um, Hindu afi, which were both things that I crossed to it to make what became Lime One and what I called OG Coffee, which was the father of root beer and what I called Jaro. And so um, when you grow these things, if you grow them right, they're amazing. And you might not even know why you grew them right, but they come out great. You get these huge plants with huge colas and they're fucking excellent. And then people fuck them up and they don't know how they fucked them up. And I can't tell them how they fucked them up other than maybe underwatering, overwatering, like really hard for a few little rounds to where the metabolism of the plant gets fucked up. And then all of a sudden they have weed that's either larfy or light or it's just not quite right. And you're like, well, I don't really know what to tell you because when you grow a normal soil mix and you don't fuck with anything, they just have these plants that they just throw down. But if you fuck them up, then you see that PK weirdness where all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, these just don't, they're not doing what I want them to do. So it's a, it's a weird thing that the PK brings to the table. Um, the PK also brings a certain level of instability to the table, which is the same deal. If you grow them a certain way, they're fine. If you grow them another way, once again, which I can't really pin down, it's like when I had the, the Hindu... The Big Red on the Hindu, on the PK, um, I call it OG Cuddler or Red Hindu Kush because Big Red Hindu Pure Kush. Um, people would grow them, grow them indoor, they're all perfect. Grow them outdoor, they're all perfect. Somebody grows a pack, indoor or outdoor, the whole pack has fucking sexual instability. And you're like, well, there's already been a whole bunch of these that have been grown perfectly fine. And now these ones, they freaked out. So that's like OG crosses, diesel crosses, cookie crosses. You'll talk to somebody, they'll go, oh, those seeds are shit. They're all Hermes. And then you'll talk to somebody else and they'll go, I grew with three or four packs. They were all great. So whatever it is that makes these things freak out, it makes them freak out. But it's something that's coming from, in the case of like uh, Red Hindu Kush, it was, it was uh, you know, coming from that pk clone 
So the PK clone is this weird thing because it either gives you the best thing ever or it gives you stuff that fucks up on you. And um, the nature of how I grow is so simple that I don't ever see that. I don't ever have plants that are fucking awful unless I grow something that's really outlandishly shitty and you just know it's going to be really bad because it's a weird fucking auto ruderalis or some shit. That's like the only things I can remember that were really bad. But um, but the PK is a trip like that, and that is the OG that really is the most prevalent in my work. Then the ghost, I took the sky jaro, which is jaro, um, so that's Hindu crossed with a black affy male, and I called that black coffee at the time. But that's a dead, what I call a deadline. It's not, it's is not out there anywhere. So you know. Right now, people like uh, BioVortex Black Dog crossed with coffee from Kaya at Green Source Gardens. They have a black coffee. I don't give a shit because my black coffee is a deadline. It's only been used in um, something that is later. So I don't have a black coffee. I had a black coffee, but I don't use that anymore. So that's the Hindu, the Afi on the Hindu. I crossed that with a Hollywood Pure Kush. And then I put that on the Sour Diesel. That made Jaro. I took that. I put that on the Skywalker. The Skywalker I really liked. It was stretchy. It was vigorous. It had the really clear OG smell, different from the Ghost, where it was more chemical, less earth, less skunk. Um, I liked it. I liked the shininess of it. I liked the vigor of it. And then, um, so I had that. I had the Sky Jaro. I grew those. Those were killer. They all came out like really nice OG. And... Some OG plants breed more OG and some breed less. Pure Kush is more transparent. You don't get a lot of OG from it. Um, you get a lot more of what the male side was. Skywalker, I got a lot of OG from it, which leads me to believe it was more bottlenecked. It was probably an S2 or an S3 or something like that. Um, so that made the Sky Jaro. I took that and I put that on the Ghost because I had grown... Um, I had grown the Ghost S1s, and they were really consistently all kind of an OG. So it was like, okay, well, I know that the Ghost is throwing a lot of OG, whereas the PK wouldn't have done that. The PK throws a lot more plain stuff. It throws some purples that are like lavender. It throws these cotton candy type of things. It's really nice, but it's not all OG. The Ghost growing the S1s from it was like, okay, you get a lot of the real OG. So... Sky Jaro was all OG basically with a little, you know, a little bit different, not, not all the loudest, um, and a little bit more vigor, longer canes, um, a little faster finishing. And then I put that on the ghost to make the ghost cross Sky Jaro because everybody wanted like a Kush seed that would be vigorous and better than an OG clone as far as how it does in your garden. So, um, so I did that, and that was the ghost. And then I also did the ghost with the lime pop. Those came out really nice. I liked those a lot. I handed them almost all out as testers. And then I lost the lime pop male. So I had very few of the seeds left back to continue the lime, but I went ahead and did that. And this year I, I kept that going to the F2s. But... I gave them all almost all out as testers because I figured if everybody grew them and they were great, then I could take the lime pop male I had as a clone and I could put it back on the ghost and I could produce those and that could be one thing that I 
kind of had as one of my my staples because it was such nice weed when I grew it um, outside. Inside, it's a little bit unstable, so it's going to keep getting worked. Um, hopefully by F3, F4, I can have something that's nice, and I'll, I'll put that back out. But um, the Ghost is Killer, to me, it's the real heavy fucking OG, the real deal, real OG Kush. Skywalker is a little bit more, a little bit lighter of a high, a little bit bigger, hardier of a plant. I really like it. It makes these really big, pretty seeds. It's kind of neat. And then the PK really brings a lot of potency, and it breeds a little bit more transparently, which I really like because I'm most of the time I'm not trying to breed an OG in seed form. I'm trying to use what's good about the OG and tack it on to what I already have on the male side. Um, and so that's cool. And the PK... Unlike a lot of OGs, it drops hash a little bit better um, because of its uh, what's in it as opposed to where the OG is fairly greasy. It'll drop some hash, but the PK drops hash closer and more like a Bubba. So that's the, um, you know, that's the reason for there being a lot of PKs. That was the first one I had, and I believed it to be really old, pure OG based on the way the weed was when I got it, but later on kind of found out that it's not, uh, you know, it actually has other stuff in it. Wow. What a detailed breakdown of what sort of each of the OGs you work with is bringing to the table in your crosses. Since we last spoke, uh, it feels as though the backstories behind the OG Kush itself have been fleshed out a fair bit more with TK origins kind of coming out of the shadows and explaining his story. The thing I wanted to ask you about was that a lot of people might be aware that he speaks about how he was growing a strain called Emerald Triangle and he suspects the male involved in the pollination was probably a Hindu Kush. When he was pushed to give some sort of guess about what this Emerald Triangle strain was, he frequently says probably some sort of Hindu Kush sort of thing. And it makes me wonder, could you believe that like, or do you believe that OG Kush is possibly just some sort of Hindu incross? If we are to, if if what TK Origins says is correct, could you see that, or do you have a suspicion that maybe there's some other genetics in the mix? Okay, so there's there's an interesting thing at play here that uh, this is a this is a multi-layered thing. Um, so Hindu Kush, okay, Hindu Kush, I've always kind of wondered about this. Hindu Kush is a region. Um, within that region are tons of different micro-regions where different uh, strains would have come from. So um, I always wondered, what is Hindu Kush? And there was a Sacred Seeds Hindu Kush that came out, marketed as being skunky in the early 80s. And there was um, originally Neville had a, uh, this is where it's hard to kind of sift through it. Originally, Neville had a Northern Lights 1 and a Northern Lights 2. Um, 
I believe Greg McAllister says the further towards the one you go, the pure, more pure the Afghani is. And um, so there's a trippy thing. So Northern Lights 1 then would have been just straight, straight broadleaf gnarliness. Um, Northern Lights 2 would have been 2, based on everybody's descriptions of what those were at the time. Um, now, Neville had those originally. He marketed those, I believe. And this is, this is info from seed banks that... Um, I have the catalogs and I've read about them, but this was brought up again by by my buddy uh, Not So Dog, and he pointed out something which was pretty interesting that in one year Neville has Northern Lights with the description uh, Northern Lights two, I think maybe one, and in the following year now it is. I believe Sensi Seeds don't, you know, don't take that as the gospel because it, it could have still been his own thing. But I believe what happened was when he shifted his stock from Seed Bank to Sensi Seed Bank, um, the names changed. And so what was originally Northern Lights 2, and once again, this is just how I remember it, and I never put too much into really remembering the details of it because I know I can access that. Um, it changed from Northern Lights to being labeled as Hindu Kush. So apparently there's a Hindu Kush as a strain. And like I said before, it's a region. So there would have really been a lot of things. But what we would have had in California labeled as Hindu Kush or Florida, labeled as Hindu Kush, would have either been Hindu Kush from Sacred Seeds in like 83, or it would have been Hindu Kush, which was Northern Lights, renamed as Hindu Kush by Sensi Seeds or by Seed Bank, in which w would have been more like 86, 87, I believe. Now, in terms of seeds, the, the these time frames, these are right next to each other. You know, like... Someone who got cookies in 2016 or 2013, fucking cookies, you know, but somebody who got those two things back then seems like it probably would have been two different things because I don't think the Hindu Kush sacred seeds had is the same as the Hindu Kush that Neville had. I think Neville knew that this heavy Afghani type would have been from the Hindu Kush region and instead of calling it Northern Lights because he, at that point, had had the Northern Lights number five and stuff that was a little more of a hybrid type, he had named the ones that were closer to being a pure Afghani type as being Hindu Kush, probably because Hindu Kush sounds different than Afghani, and Afghani number one was out at the time, I believe. Um, so anyway, that is all to say that... When I had my Northern Lights and I started breeding it in the mid-90s, um, originally, before I had actually made seed, I started seeing these ones that would pop out in the compost pile when it would seed itself, and the seeds would get thrown away. Um, that my, uh, my dad, 
at the time was every once in a while I'd be like, oops, something got fucked up. All right, there's some seeded stuff. All right, it gets pulled out when it gets trimmed. They get thrown in the compost pile. Now, George would have a plant in the compost pile pretty much every year, and they'd be these really nice things. They'd be just pretty much like the clone, but they were very indica. They seemed a little more broadleaf when you grew them from seed than when they did from clone, which I think is kind of typical of plants in general. Uh, the first big fan leaves that come up on an immature plant before it sexes, they really want to get big and chunky and fat because I think probably they're trying to do their best to really get a fucking head start. Um, so I think the Northern Lights that we had would have probably been like a Northern Lights 5 cross Northern Lights 2 or something. The plant itself, to me, was not what I would consider to be a pure broadleaf. As a clone, it was very, very similar looking to an OG Kush clone. So when I made things, like when I bred through the Jaro or Sky Jaro, etc., I would look for these things that were like the northern lights we had. And it was very dark, dark green, the leaves. They were shiny. They would usually have five or seven um, leaflets, never more. Um, they had crazy, the, the, the clone itself, it had crazy amounts of resin on it. It was resin that liked to fall off, like an Afghani. Um, it, the potency was just insane, definitely right up there with something like an OG or a Sour or a Chem. Um and, you know, it kind of had this structure that was, uh, you know, fairly thin stem, not what I would normally consider to be a straight Afghani. But Afghanistan has a really diverse gene pool. I'm just saying that um, the Northern Lights we had wasn't like a Bubba. Now, something like a Bubba is exactly, I mean, almost impossible to tell the difference between good Baba and good Hindu, which we had around here, which we called Hindu Indu. And the guy who had it the most around here was my buddy J-Law. And J-Law, he had this Hindu clone that he called Hindu Indu, and it was fucking bomb, and it was like Baba, but more visibly white and frosty um it had that same kind of a thing where it had this smell that was like uh coffee earth soap i don't know it was a really trippy trippy thing almost had like a plant latex smell to it a little bit like um like when you break open like milkweed or dandelions or real cocaine which I personally have never done, but which I have seen in, you know, certain situations where people had it and I was curious about what it looks like. Um, it just never was my thing. I tasted it, made me angry. I never really tried it again. Uh, I had a toothache one time. I put it on that, real effective. But it has something like that, that plant latex thing that's hard to describe. And so, anyway, this is all just digging in to kind of give an idea of a backstory of all this kind of stuff. So, 
Um, also, it really liked to drop resin, like my clone did, but they were very different. And then in about 2003, I would say, my buddy, uh, Big Al, used to like to come up and grab weed from people in Mendo to take to L.A., and he would buy the Hindu from the Hindu clone, and he would sell it in L.A. as Bubba, and he would get major top dollar for it like unheard of shit but because it was Bubba and the people who wanted it knew their shit but they still were like yeah this is Bubba but it wasn't Bubba it was Hindu the backstory on the Hindu it turns out before Jay Lau got it it went to his buddy up there in Leggett and the person who gave it to him, it turns out, was a friend of mine who was an older lady who's probably about 65, 70. Really cool lady. And she said she got it from a guy named Frank who had a heroin problem who lived here where I live. And that was around 84 or 85. Now, I believe that because it was so long back, she had actually mixed it up and it was probably a little bit later because I personally think that she got it from Frank and that Frank probably got it from Neville once the Northern Lights name had been changed to Hindu Kush in 86 or 87 or whatever. Now, if you, if you get something 30-some years ago, it's really easy to think you got it 32 years ago instead of 34 years ago or 36 years ago instead of 39 years ago so i think that what we called hindu kush up here which is the same as bubba was probably from that seed bank release which was northern lights after it had been changed to be called hindu kush and that bubba kush is almost the same thing and if you hear the story that people tell about the earliest Bubba Kush, they say they think it was a Northern Lights cross. And if you hear the description from Origins TK, who I've talked with a lot, because at one point I almost wondered if the Emerald Triangle had been the clone that we had, that my mom popped, because she popped it in 89. But he said that the Emerald Triangle they had had since probably about 87 which would make it impossible that it was that clone and why would my crazy ass think that it could have been our clone was only the fact that when i bred with things from og and i was looking for og i had really good luck finding males that would throw og by looking for the same look as our northern lights clone but northern lights had been very consistent so I wouldn't be surprised if what he's calling Hindu Kush is what is in fact Northern Lights and Neville was taking Northern Lights and calling it Hindu Kush and what he used could have actually been Northern Lights cross Northern Lights and that OG Kush could be Northern Lights cross Northern Lights which I have been saying since long before his story ever popped up I've been saying that I believed OG Kush to be some type of a cross of 
Northern Lights. So I don't really know exactly um, the real stories of whatever everything is. The reason why I believe Origins TK after talking to him was that he doesn't put any ego on it. He doesn't say, oh, well, I took it and I grew a thousand plants and they were all pretty shitty, but I found a crazy one and I did this and I did that. He's like, I don't know, dude, I grew some shit. And there was like these couple seeds and then there's fucking shit and then it just happened. And all the stories that I've ever heard of the best stuff seem to come out of stories like that that are a little bit more random, a little bit less self-involved. Um, usually if someone has an elaborate story that makes them look like a mastermind, you know, it, it kind of makes you seem like you're probably full of shit. And if you say that you just had a happy accident, that seems to be kind of where stuff comes from more often than not. And uh, so that's why I, I give his story um, some airtime in my brain of going, okay, well, let's see what that means. If this means this and that means that, and uh, all of the all of the details kind of add up, and that's the reason why I go on such a big clusterfuck, convoluted story of this and that and this, so that you can kind of picture how it looks in my head with my experience, because um, it, it, it does all it does all make sense to an extent, and. I'm like, somebody needs to make a meme of me with a stupid face with the letters where it's capital, small case, capital, small case. And it says everything and it says Northern Lights is in everything because I'm the dumbass who at this point does think that it is in everything because I believe that at some point cookies has Baba in it. I believe that at some point OG has Hindu and Northern Lights, which it turns out are probably the same thing. Um, I think that Sour Diesel has it. I think Chem D has Northern Lights in it somewhere. Um, and I have my Northern Lights oil can, which is Bahakan Afghani on our Northern Lights clone. That crossed to the Northern Lights several times. And anybody who's had a lot of chem can smell what I'm pulling out of those seeds now. And without it seeming like it is chem, because it has different it has different aspects to the kind of the resin and the way the resin looks under a loop and all that. I'd like to kind of I, I should probably get it to somebody to gene test it. Like even though Phylos is full of shit, they have they probably have the bigger gene. Uh, the big, bigger uh, database right now to look at genes. Um, it's very, there's a lot of what I call hot garbage that's like the Chem D smell. Um, it's in there from that Northern Lights. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting thing. But, that, but, but, but with that whole story, um, in my delusion at one point, talking to origins tk i had been like well emerald triangle shit i live in the emerald triangle late 80s who had clones in the late 80s 
I remember in 94, I brought a clone to my buddy OG Foundation's farms and most of the old timers from the neighborhood who had had dank shit starting all the way back in the 70s, even the 60s going into the 80s when what we wound up getting from from, from those old timers. Um, everybody came to see what, what does a plant look like from clone? And this was 94, you know? And uh, it was a Northern Lights clone, and we had had it since 89. And my point to that is that most people had never seen a clone. I'd only ever seen two clones by the time I was 15. One, maybe by the time I was 14. One was the purple one in Leggett. The other one was Northern Lights that my mom took. And at that point, everybody else popped seed every every time because what a lot of people don't realize these days is in those days, you didn't have to have a bag of weed that was all one thing. So you would have a bag of weed and you would be like, oh, look, there's a purple bud. There's a green bud. There's a leafy bud. There's a hard bud. And those pounds, that's how pounds looked all the way until... 2002 or 2003 it didn't fucking matter until urkel hit and then all of a sudden everything had to be all one clone all in one bag the way people had been used to indoor all the way until that point you only saw pounds that were all one thing if they were indoor and indoor all the way until 95 96 maybe out right into there indoor was always worth less than outdoor because everybody got it and they're like it's cool but you don't get high as long the flavor's not as deep it doesn't look quite right it's too bright it looks all white it doesn't have that real fucking look and so indoor was like a bad thing all the way until the late 90s most people don't know that and the only time it was different was maybe if you were in a place where there wasn't outdoor so weed was just weed and if it was chronic it was chronic so you know people in the mid 90s of course who were buying like indoor diesel or whatever it was yeah they're you know they're they're buying that and it and it's and it's super high dollar ten twelve thousand dollar pounds on the east coast and shit but in california if weed was worth 36 outdoor indoor was worth 32 it was always worth less to have indoor weed all the way to a point and as soon as indoor really caught in, caught on, it was only a matter of time before outdoor had to follow the indoor trend, which was to be growing all one thing and having all one thing in a bag. And then all of a sudden, that's how it was. But back in the days, it wasn't really it wasn't really like that. It was all just a mix in a bag, you know. So um, I don't know where the fuck I went with this now. I'm I'm I'm. I'm a fucking stoner trailing off, but, uh, but this is all true. It's all true. Even if I don't know what I'm talking about, even when I, even when I lie, you know, um, no that's that's amazing i mean you covered both you know the the og the northern lights the hindu the indoor outdoor just so many things in that answer i think 
I got to ask you a bunch of follow-ups on that. But I mean, the first one is, do you think that that change in like outdoor being worth more to suddenly indoor being worth more, do you think that was because of like rappers and people talking about it and maybe even a growing focus on the aesthetics of the plant, which I'm guessing maybe at the time indoor started to out-edge it? Or do you think it was other factors? Well, so, I mean, I, I, I spaced out on what I was talking about there, but um, I realized what I was talking about was um, the reason why clone weed from clones became popular, right? So the reason weed from clones became popular was because of, because of indoor. And I think indoor became popular because people were growing from clones. And so... When you got indoor, at a certain point, people were growing, if they were growing indoor, they were growing a clone. Because indoor, it was more sketchy to grow from seed. Because if you grew from seed indoor, they're all, you might have different heights. Some of them might be unstable, whatever happened, right? But if you grew from a clone that was proven, like that purple clone or that Northern Lights clone, then it was like, okay, now you have a predictable crop. It'll all have an even canopy. It'll all finish the same day. You know, electricity is expensive. You need to know exactly what you're doing. Like indoor was a different game. So clones started to have this advantage. And so I think at a certain point, that's why clones became popular. And then once that happened, what people started to realize was when you buy indoor, the whole bag is the same fucking weed. So if you really like a pound of indoor diesel, you like it. And that is something you can get. That's more like a branded product. Whereas before it was like, Oh, you want a soda? Here's a fucking soda. But once indoor came in, it was like, okay, you want a Coca-Cola, get a Coca-Cola. But before that, when you'd have your, your garden would be done and you'd be like, Ooh, Ooh, there's that one. All right, go ahead and pull out a little bit of that and swap it out with this right here because we want to. That that was the good one, you know. And it wasn't like this stuff wasn't so particular, and weed was worth so much money that it wasn't like. Uh, in a lot of cases, you couldn't, you know. Years later, it was like I started smoking ten pounds a year or something, you know, because it was like you could just take whatever you want and go. Okay, we want this one, this one. Do that separate. But originally, it was so valuable that you'd be like, all right, well. The odds and ends after all is said and done, we'll, we'll, we'll put that aside. And if it weighs a quarter pound, then maybe we can dig through the pounds and find the ones we want. And we'll take this stuff and we'll swap it back in and wind up with the quarter pound we really want instead of the one we were left with. But, um, but I think that part of what popularized indoor was the fact that when people grew indoor, it was all one thing. And when you buy something and it's more predictable – um, I think that's kind of a value added product where you're like, okay, well, you know, it was cool to get a sack of weed. Great. But then you're like, I really like that one. And so the fact that people weren't doing that outdoor because outdoor people were growing off from seed, unless you were like the people who were getting clones from us back in the day who were growing Northern lights. Um, you know, it, it's, I think, I think that had a big influence with being something that you knew what you were getting exactly. And I think indoor, it's one thing outdoor it's mixed. And I think that had a big, um, I think that had a big, a big role in kind of dividing the markets. 
and making indoor be something that was more sought after. And then, of course, people figured out how to grow indoor really well um, in mass. Believe it or not, a lot of I mean, right now, still a lot of indoor sucks. Don't get me wrong. And a lot of fucking outdoors. <laughs> a lot of outdoor sucks. I'm not saying, you know, like indoors worse than outdoor. But in all the way through the 90s, a lot of times if you saw indoor, it would be people would be like, all right, we need to get it out to get the next run. And so what does that mean? It's cut a little early. Um, it's handled. It's all green trimmed and handled a lot so they can get it out the door. It's dried a lot faster because we need to get rid of it. And so like at a certain point when people started doing connoisseur level indoor, that really, I think, helped to drive up the value of indoor. And I think as funny as it is that that happened in places where there was less weed faster because people valued it more highly and would have less and so would handle it better. And I think that's where like East Coast indoor being so fucking good in the 90s was the deal where the people who are on the East Coast who are the real connoisseurs happened to be growing indoor and the people on the West Coast in the 90s who were the real connoisseurs were growing outdoor. And the people who were growing weed on the in the indoors on the West Coast in the '90s were more uh, were more concerned about it as a product, and so we're kind of just busting it out, busting it out, you know. And I think that that kind of uh, I think that kept, that that kept it that kept it not being as good of a thing. And then when people started like, okay, let's really do really nice indoor. Um, then, then it stepped it up a lot, you know? And I think that's, I think that's, that's part of the dynamic and that's not to say that's the answer to all of it, but I, those are, those are things that I noticed and looking in, you know, uh, retrospectively at like the, the, the difference and how the East coast had this really killer mid nineties indoor. And I'm not saying that the people I know didn't have it then, it was just that in like 1993, you were almost better off saying if you have really nice indoor, just being like, yeah, this is killer. This is killer outdoor. And you'd get a better price, you know, because people were used to it being that um, indoor in the derogatory sense where you go, dude, it's just like not, you know, and I still see that kind of indoor from people where I'm just like, I don't really know what you did, but you know, and then the insane indoor that you see that you're like, this is the greatest weed on earth. A lot of people have that, but it would typically be like the lady with one light or the lady with three lights or the dude with eight lights or whatever. And those would be the ones that you'd be like, Whoa, Holy shit. Like, man. And that, that was the stuff that, that you, that you look at and you go, this should be worth more than outdoor. But because it wasn't the norm, it, it, it didn't um, it didn't represent itself enough, and so there was like it's like you know kind of like a boutique market. Like people who know know they want these three pounds from this lady that only has three pounds every two and a half months. You know, people who know, but at the same time, if people are just looking for a bunch of indoor, they're like, yeah, my price is this for this, and it's this for that, and 
you know, outdoor was more valuable all the way until at least the mid nineties for sure. Yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense the way you describe it. It's really interesting to hear how things kind of changed in the Emerald Triangle from outdoor to indoor. And I mean, obviously outdoor is still very possible. And I I love the little anecdote about, you know, the old lady with the three lights. I mean, speaking of, uh, I'd love to, if you're willing to chat about um, some history from your mum, if possible, because when I talk to the real heads like Bodie and Mr. Bob Hempill and stuff, they always tell me, they're like, man, you want to know a real OG of the Emerald Triangle, Mean Jean's mum, she was laying some groundwork. Did she ever tell you any cool stories about like, you know, Bud from yesteryear that she was able to smoke or like sort of the way she and her friends used to do things back in the day? Well, so it's interesting, you know, my, my mom, my mom is not somebody who I would say is, uh, there's a, there's a funny thing and I've kind of addressed this a little bit because of, of people being full of shit and not really understanding the reality of, of, uh, of things, you know, people go, Oh, well, you're you're fucking second generation. So you just had it all handed to you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just to break down the reality of it is honestly, my generation was the first ones and not even, you know, unfortunately not even me, but my generation was the first people who realized how to actually make money off a weed. Um, my mom's generation was like, they would grow a little bit and it was almost impossible to have anything. And if, you know, it was all a learning process. So the deer would eat your crop. The ripoffs would take your crop. You know, the neighbors would take your crop. Fucking your crop would be done and someone would pull the fucking windows off your fucking house and take your crop. Um, you know, my mom's not somebody who's ever made any of her money. Like she, she didn't, she's not like a, a big, um, a big farmer who made money off of weed and shit, you know, it was like, she tried to survive working, you know, other jobs and, 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 and trying to have a couple plants so that maybe she could, um, so that she could be a little bit more normal in the country because here there's not uh there's not a lot of opportunity you know my mom trimmed other people's weed my mom washed dishes uh she she opened the first recycling center in this area and you know barely made a tiny bit of money off of that uh so you know the 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 the, the first gener the first generation of people who were the real who were the real people who really figured things out, they, they didn't get to really reap the rewards of all this shit. Um, so, you know, when, when people say like, Oh, whatever, you know, your shit, your parents were ballers and grew weed and fuck, you know, they don't understand that there was no, uh, there was no coolness. There was no, oh, I grow weed. I'm Mr. Cool. I'm going to have a brand. I'm going to look fancy. I'm going to be fucking, you know, people are going to kiss my ass because I got some fucking weed. 
and all this shit that fucking people come in carpetbagging trying to fucking do their little bullshit with, you know? Um, it, it shit was rough. It wasn't anything... It wasn't anything that you would do because it's your dream and all this fucking shit with these jokers, you know? It was basically... Um, survival and it was risking your ass knowing that you might be fucking up and you might be you might be destroying your fucking chances of having a a, a good life by taking these risks but at the same time you're putting yourself out there because you don't know what else to do and there really isn't anything else to do because you live in a place where it's nice and you know it's safe for your kids because you're in the country and you have a lot of different opportunities for the things that we as a species do really well with. But we as a society, you know, it, it wasn't really any of the stuff that most people get the benefits of who live in places where things are nice. It was the woods and, uh, you know, it's a trippy fucking thing. So I got to throw that out there because of how people like to perceive things. And these people I'm talking about are not Bodhi and these guys because they understand that. They know they know what the fuck's up, you know. But um, but the trippy thing is that uh, my mom, the first thing I can remember her talking about that was really, really standout was, the, was what they called the Mazari which was weed from Mazar in Afghanistan. And uh, she said it was big, big, tall fucking plants, but then they budded with these huge, fat fucking buds. And it was just the most gorgeous shit. And they grew it in a creek bed out in Woodman Canyon. And it had, uh, it had these big, um, these big, beautiful buds on it that she said were just they had never seen anything like it and it was just so fucking incredible and they grew it for a year or two this is like 84 85 or 85 86 and then in making the seeds at some point the wrong one got picked and my dad my my stepdad um who I don't like to really call my stepdad, but that's just for technicalities. But my, my dad, who I grew up with, my mom's boyfriend, um, he said that at a certain point, it just turned into lettuce weed. And it really wasn't anything that all of us, all of a sudden it was like, well, you can't grow this shit. And they lost it. And they were super bummed. And then he started growing what he got from his buddy Charlie, which was Oaxacan Afghani which he later gave to um, our buddy Ted, who, who passed away um, years ago now. And Ted ended up giving it to this other guy who was out there in the canyon. And he was the one, Ted and his worker, who is this other guy, they would get clones from my mom, which was the Northern Lights, all the way starting in like maybe 92 or 91. And they grew them. And then he would grow it and he would back cross it to his, um, 
to his Oaxacan Afghani, which he called the oil can and the stoil, depending on what it smelled like. And he backcrossed and backcrossed and backcrossed. And that's what my buddy ended up taking and giving it to our other buddy who bred it a couple times, gave it back. And that's what we call POG or uh, Northern Lights oil can. And that's what that that's what that actually comes out of. So that's like tracing it back, going back to whatever, 87 or something when George got that. And uh, then, you know, like... Uh, my mom wasn't like a heavy smoker or anything, but I mean, some of the special stuff I remember seeing was like when she took me up there to leg it to that lady's house. And uh, I saw that perp, that purple, and then, um, you know, the various things. But really, after 89, the Northern Lights was like our workhouse plant, our workhorse plant, and that was what was around all the way really until uh, the mid-90s. We moved to Hawaii. We came back, and it was still around, but I had some other stuff. We were, we were doing other stuff. And uh, then I thought it was gone all the way till like 2004, 2005, and then I talked to my buddy, down in Healdsburg and he was like, yeah, no, we still got, we still got those. And I was like, Oh, I want to get them back. And then he brought them to me and it turned out he thought I wanted the, the dirt big bud. Um, and he didn't know that I wanted the Northern Lights, So I got the dirt big, Bud. I seeded it. And that's what the Pina comes out of, but he had the Northern Lights still at that point. And I talked to him. That was probably in, maybe July or something. Cause I remember I seeded those plants. They were still small when they were done. So it had to be fairly late in the year. And then I ended up talking to him when he gave me those and telling him, you know, I'd like to get those other ones. He was like, cool, cool. We'll figure it out. And that winter down in Sonoma County in Healdsburg, the Russian river flooded and his buddy had a trailer where they kept their moms and it was just a mom operation where they would get all their clones out of and the whole fucking trailer washed away in the fucking flood down the Russian river and they lost it all. And that was, so that was like the, the, the one real, the one plant that my mom really kept um, was gone at that point. And she had already not had it for like 10 years, but they had it. And that was just like this huge tragedy. And to this day, it's like every time someone says they have a Northern Lights clone, I'm always like, oh, well, what's it look like? Because that's what I was getting into when I trailed off and I forgot what I was talking about earlier was that the Northern Lights was really one of the only things you would see around that was a clone. And I saw the exact same clone weed come back from Chico. I saw it come back from up further north. Um it circulated a lot because back then it was like, oh, if somebody wants clones, they would get something that was already grown from clone they knew was good indoor. And then once people got those, they would mother them up and they would they would sell clones. And so it kept it really limited because clone, you know, clone cloning, um, it wasn't really a popular thing to do. And uh, I know I know different people did kept a couple clones all over because there's clones from the 90s. But cloning became much more popular in the 2000s than it, in the late the late 90s than it was in the 80s and the early 90s. 
So I, I like think probably someone still must fucking have it out somewhere because it's such a good plant, but I've never been able to find it. But that was like really my uh, my mom's thing that she found that was really, really good. And other than that, you know, um, really the only ones I can really remember her talking about was that original Mazari and and then knowing that that northern lights and she got that northern lights in a manila envelope that just said northern Lights seed bank on it and she got those in 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 89 when we lived where the uh area 101 where the emerald cup started now is and then we moved and we had this little shed and she used to just have like you know a little a little thing with like two 400 watt lights or something like that and uh, it just basically kept us from fucking starving, you know. So uh, that that whole era was a lot different. And some people had had the magic pieces of property where you wouldn't get busted and you could grow a lot of weed. And some people made a lot of money, but um, it, it was hard and it was a completely different thing than people think of it as. And some people thought of good tricks, and some people, you know, were able to do shit. My mom was a single mom; she had two kids. And, uh, you know, her whole, uh, her whole thing was just, you know, putting, putting everything on the line to be able to do that shit. She got busted in 1982 with a couple small plants on the back porch because her roommate started a big argument with the fucking landlord and the landlord called the cops because he knew there was weed and, uh, you know, she got locked up in 1982 and probably my earliest memory is driving behind with this lady, Joey, in the car, looking at my mom, waving at me from the back of a cop car on a fucking dirt road, you know? So, uh, not, you know, not the, uh, not the glorious fucking hand-me-down, um, you know, type of uh, lifestyle that people want to make it out to be when they just show up here to try to fucking make a quick buck and during the fucking 215 era and then talk down on, on, on me for being, uh, you know, the dude who just fucking grew up with everything because I was from Mendo, you know? Yeah, wow. What a powerful story about what mums will go through to follow passion and put food on the table and, you know, major props to your mum for that. And it's, I guess, yeah, continuing on what you said, that's a bit of a bummer that people assume that just because you're second generation that everything was given to you, it's based on that story, you could almost argue it's the opposite, like things are probably a bit harder, in fact. Yeah, well, it's it's what it is, is it's projection, because they showed up and everything was easy as fuck. And so they look at me and they go, oh, well, you know, you things must have been so easy for you because you showed up even sooner. And I'm like, yeah, you showed up after the drug war had pretty much fucking disappeared for most people. And I showed up and turned fucking, you know, two years old. My mom got arrested and four years old fucking, you know, camp campaign against marijuana planting started. And, uh, you know, it's a fucking real different thing. You know, I got buddies who, you know, used to used to go to school, you know, or used to go to their house. And I was like, oh, you know, where's your dad? Like, oh, my dad, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's hiding in Mexico. Or where's your dad? Oh, he's going to be in jail for fucking a couple of years. Or, 
you know, fucking whatever it is, you know, like, oh, your pop had to had to fucking log his property and he's still going to do six years or whatever it is, you know, and then dudes show up and fucking make a bunch of easy money and then want to want to talk shit to to us like we're the you know, we had everything handed to us on a platter and I'm like, you guys didn't even you guys didn't even fucking earn earn, earn shit. <laughs> they didn't make their bones doing shit. They just showed up carpet bagging and then talk a bunch of shit, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's a bummer to hear and hopefully this can help shed some light on that sort of fallacy. Something I definitely took away from that story that I thought was interesting was how you know, this amazing Northern Lights that your mum came across came from some seed stock from like a seed bank. I think a lot of people, including myself in the past, have made the mistake of assuming that all of this sort of mythical um, strains and seeds that existed around that area in that time were like all from like brothers of eternal love and all that sort of mythology. Do you think that trope kind of gets played out a little too much and some of it is a bit less exciting in its origins and it's just like good stock from a seed bank? Or do you think that the brothers of eternal love did in fact contribute a lot to the genetics in the scene at that time? I mean, I assume they did. I don't really, um, I don't really know too much, but I can tell you there's an interesting thing where we... I mean, imagine back in the day we first got interested in weed. It was the mid-90s. Me and my buddies are like 14 or 15, right? Like, as a parent, I look at, I look at you know, kids. I look at my nine-year-old and I go, yeah, you tell them things, but you don't tell them everything, right? It's just a natural thing to be like, yeah, these stories aren't for you to walk around holding. They, It might be kind of heavy, especially in our day when things were still really considered criminal and you know you don't you don't want to tell your kids like all this heavy duty shit that you know they can't tell anybody you're like that that's just a disservice in a sense you know so talking to my buddy um og foundation farms a while back he's he's telling me you know i'm talking to him about like some different strains and he's like yeah you know i was talking to uh i was talking to so-and-so and, uh, you know, he was, he was not well and I wanted to know some stories and he was of that older generation. And so I started kind of, you know, talking to him and digging a little bit to try to, you know, just kind of learn more and knowing that now it's two grown, grown men talking and shit. So he started opening up and saying more, more of the stories. And he ended up saying that like things like what I call, what I call, uh, dirt, which is, um, which is an old Afghani. He's like, yeah, you know, well, that came from, that came from so-and-so, uh, the computer guy. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like back in the day they had told us, oh, he was the guy who brought the stuff back. And we knew that. And, and that had been told to us in the mid nineties. He goes, yeah, but you know, what you guys didn't know because it's kind of crazy was that he also was one of the guys who was letting them out in the back of the valley make a lot of acid back there my buddy was like oh really and he goes yeah you know the the guys who did who did the sunshine acid they they used to make a lot of that sunshine acid was done out there in the back of the valley I'm like oh well that's interesting you know he's telling them and he goes uh 
he goes, yeah, you know, they, they right then around that time, 84 or 83 or whatever, you know, whenever it was, those seeds showed up and they told kind of the ladies around here who were growing their like little yard patches and stuff like, hey, grow this and, and we'll, we'll give you twice what you're getting now for your other shit and you'll have a lot more weed and it finishes really quick. And that was kind of the introduction of like the Afghani, like what we call dirt, you know. And uh, so interestingly enough, as much as I don't want to be the guy who jumps on being like, oh, well, the stuff I have, it, it, it came from mole too. Like, it's like it, it just turned out that really they did have a hand. They kind of had their hand in a lot of pies because it turned out that the computer guy had actually got his seed from bull and um, and that they had been they had been batching up sunshine back at his place in the in the mid 80s. Uh, or the early 80s or whenever I don't know that the that the the acid and the I don't know the time frame but that in the same area um, was these things going on you know which was really interesting and then he said yeah then we took we took these big things of seed and we put them inside the tire of our car and we and we we filled up the tires and we we actually drove me and your dad, being my buddy's dad, we drove to Mexico and we took these seeds down there. And that was the year that Mexican weed, the price doubled on Mexican weed too, because all of a sudden it was this chunky, beautiful weed instead of being stringy. And uh, that was really interesting to me just to hear, you know, these kind of trippy stories. And if you talk to people in Humboldt, they have the same kind of stories where, you know, whatever, 78, they, they these guys got it. And then 82 these guys got it and you know as a younger person i would have thought oh that's a big span of time but now i know like the course of six or eight years or whatever it's fucking nothing you know it's really a trip so uh i can't downplay what they did because it turns out that even stuff that i i use came came from them you know and uh i don't really think that that adds any value i think the plants have their own value of whatever their value is, you know? Um, but, uh, I do think that, um, you know, I think there's certain, it was a very, very, very small world. And to this day, it's still a very small world. As soon as you get before the internet, I was talking to somebody today and he goes, man, I had the sour cut in 2003. I got it out Branscombe. I never got another one like it. Um, and I was like, oh, it's probably the same one we had. Cause I think I got mine like 2004 or something and it's a small area and there's not a lot of people and stuff. And he goes, oh, do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, I grew up with his little brother, you know, and, and, and he has some killer, you know, SFV diesel seeds now. And he's like, oh yeah, that's what he was talking about last time I saw him and his brother must've continued it or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like it's somebody drops a name and you're like, yeah, they, I used to. I, I, I pulled my groin muscle sledding down his hill when I hit a fucking stump under the snow, you know, like in 1988, 1989, you know, like that's my boy, you know? So it's, it's, it's trippy. Like the, uh, things really are a small world. So somebody like brotherhood of eternal love who brought in a lot of stuff, you know, how many people were circulating it back then? It was, it was like, almost like, um, it was almost like you, you might be ruining your life anytime you hand somebody some seeds or, or a bag of weed back then. That might be it for you. 
you might be doing 12 years, you might be doing seven years, you know, like you didn't fucking know back then. It was, it was sketchy as shit. So the people who were like that, they were, um, they were pushing the boundaries. They weren't normal fucking guys. Now you can be a normal guy and have all kinds of different stuff and, you know, eh, whatever it is, what it is. And sure, there's a risk factor there, but you figure you could probably work it out. Back then, it was like, no, if you were in the 80s or the 90s, it was like, mm-mm, you, you know, that'd be like right now, if you're going to, oh, I'm just going to smuggle to Japan. That's like how it was just to fucking tell people <laughs> in California you had weed, you know? Yeah, wow. <laughs> different time, different time indeed. And all of that really interesting stuff. Something that I kind of wonder about a bit is often you hear about people reminiscing about strains that used to exist and maybe they don't exist anymore. Maybe they exist just in sort of like an S1 of the original sort of thing. And this all comes to the foreground because you mentioned sour there. For the longest time, I've had the suspicion that the fabled sour you hear people talk so fondly about, particularly the East Coast guys who, you know, really just got swept up in the sour sort of fandom do you feel like the sour that they talk about is that one still around or do you think they're just working with s1s or it's just a case that you know back in the day it was the best there was and now there's better but they still think like looking back that what they had was better like because you you hear this sort of idea expressed with a lot of strains do you think people lose the originals or it's just like rose shaded glasses looking back no, I think people have the originals, but so many people don't and think they're the originals that it's hard to make sense of what's what. Like, I think that Pip from Souvenir Seeds, because I've seen crosses that he made with his sour, um, I think he has the real sour. Um, there's a certain thing about it. You smell it. It's skunky. It's gassy it's got a thing to it that's like that that's it you know like you just know that's it it's um it's so much like the super skunk that you just kind of know like uh it, that's fucking sour and then you see a lot of people sour and you go yeah you know that just doesn't have it and then there's even ones that are not like, I haven't seen his sour. I've just seen what came from it. But I can still tell it came from the real fucking sour. Because it's just too... It's so much more sour than everything people think is really sour. And it's a cross, you know? You're like, all right, well, this guy has, you know... Even if it wasn't... Even if it wasn't the exact plant, the phenotype of it, it's like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's got to be it. It's like if... Uh, I don't know. I just, it's just it. It's just the weed, you know, it's, it's, it's skunky ass weed and it, um, and that's really what it should be like, like the real, real sour stuff that I originally had, it was skunky and metallic and earthy and it smelled like coffee and it smelled like super skunk. And it has like this cushiness to it. That's not OG, but the same thing you like about OG, it has some of that and it drops resin and um, it gets you high immediately and you feel it in your head 
and it tastes a certain way. And um, there's just certain, there's certain things that sour is, you know, and then there's certain things that not sour are where you're just like, you know, that's just not sour, you know? And um, I think it's a type of weed. And in my opinion, if you can find the exact same type of weed, I really don't give a shit if it's the same plant or not. If it's the same type of weed, what do we care? You know what I mean? Like, not to say that, um, not to downplay provenance and all that. Like, I, I care about it myself. But, like, the reality of all of it is, is, like, what's in your bag? The reason why I want these particular plants is because they really are that kind of weed. And if you get a plant and someone says it's sour and you grow it and you don't wind up with that weed that you expected and you know what that really is, it's different, then it's different. But even if the clone was different than what it was supposed to be and it's actually a one-off or an S1 or a cross or whatever, for the sake of having the weed, it's the same fucking weed. You got it right there. The only thing that's different that's the same, that's, that's, you know, phenotype and that's, you know, bulk phenotype or gross phenotype where it's like they, that, that, all that, it's all the one thing, even if it's a different plant. And then, you know, genotype wise, it's like, well, if, if it breeds different, then it's different. Um, so it's a different genotype, but it's the same phenotype. Um, that's like a weird, that's where you start to get into that funny genotype, phenotype confusion where people don't know what's what. It's like, well, you can have the same phenotype and go, it's sour. This is sour, that's sour. Now, if you S1, both of those plants that are both exactly like sour and one throws a bunch of shit that's not sour and the other throws all sour, that's where you have your different genotype. You know, that's where it actually counts in the conversation. As far as people like cloning something and being like, oh, don't call it a phenotype, call it a genotype. It's like, well, every plant is a genotype and a phenotype, but what are we talking about here? Because you might not be even talking about something where you need to even use those words. Just call it a fucking plant or a type or a throw or, you know what I mean? But that's that's where it really comes down to it for me is like, if I want to smoke it, I only need the phenotype. But if I'm going to breed it, and say it's the original and I'm and 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 that's what's going to get preserved and that's what's going to get spread and you know the provenance and all that that's when you need that genotype it needs to be what's inside of it that it actually possesses for its progeny that's when genotype counts you know and uh so you know like I said, is it is it really? Do people really have it? I don't know. But if people have it and it really breeds that way, where things come out of it that are the real deal, like that's all you really need. Um, but you know, I mean, the coolest thing is if you know, like somebody's like, yeah, I popped the seed and this is the real one. It's always been in my hands, and you know. But um, other than that, there's really no way to verify a cut without having it without being able to go, I gave it to so-and-so, they never got another thing similar to it. They gave it to so-and-so, that person never got another thing similar to it. They gave it to this guy, he never had something similar to it. Then you can get it back and know it's that. But if you gave a sour, if you popped the sour from seed and you gave it to this guy, and he's like, yeah, I had it, 
And then I bred it and I kept this one and it was like sour, but it was even bigger. So I kept that one, but I kept the original. But then at one point, I think I mixed them up. Like you've already lost it. You've lost your provenance and you don't really know. You don't really know shit because you could have a plant that the phenotype's exactly the same, but it ain't actually the same genotype because it's a different fucking plant, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's all, it's all an interesting, an interesting thing. The whole sour thing, cause there's so many sour cuts. And then was the one I got in the early two thousands, was it ever the real one? I don't know, but it's what I consider the real one. And when I see people with something that's like that, or that has tons of that super skunk smell that I knew from the super skunk that my buddy got from his buddy's back. Cause he had it before. And then he got it back from his buddies in Arcata in the late nineties. That's the super skunk. I know to be skunky. And I don't even know, is that the super skunk that, that everyone else is talking about when they talk about the, the mass or the, the six or I don't fucking know. I just know that's the one that I know. And when I smell really good diesel, if it smells like that, then I think of it as being real diesel, you know, and that's what the LA Kush headband, that's what the real sour, they have that smell from that super skunk. And the difference between them and super skunk is super skunk tasted great, smelled great. Wasn't really that gnarly a weed, but it was really tasty and enjoyable. The real good headband and sour were like, the sour would get you really high and it was clear. The headband would just fuck you up. Like you could get really high off of that weed um, if you didn't have a real strong tolerance to those kinds of weed. And, um, you know, those are those are the cool ones to me. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's interesting you, you bring all that up because, I mean, a lot of it obviously really valid points and on the topic of like strains that people may or may not have and you referenced the skunk in there i noticed on a recent csi humboldt post of all things seeing as we've already referenced old inspector um that there was a post about roadkill skunk and i noticed a comment you left there saying that the skunkiest thing you had smelt in a while was a strain called death coast and i actually hadn't come across that one at all can you tell me a little bit about that one so that's one that comes from those seeds that um that uh souvenir seeds made and um you know i grew it i have my what i call grape lime skunk which i'm not gonna say is roadkill skunk but that's the one that like um you know like i don't not to like just put it out there just like as a as a name drop but like skunk va had the skunk back in the day for a long time grew it knew what it was and he said that the grape lime skunk had that smell in it with other smells of course which is what i think too but that it was the closest he'd smell since he had smelled that stuff in the 90s and um so i had that I had a cut that is supposed to be Death Star, whether it is or not, I don't know, but it's very, very skunky. Um, I had a sour diesel cut. I had some sour diesel backcross twos that I got from Skunk Tech that were popped from Karma Seeds. I had um, some other stuff, you know, some pretty funky stuff. And breaking down, taking the seeds out of the Death Coast was like burnt garlic, burnt rubber, coffee, onion, skunk, just 
funky super skunk as much as I can remember. It just smelled like super skunk to me, like what I called what like what I called pissy pungent back in the day, um, but a little different. But like really, really what I know to be what I ever smelled that was what I ever thought was the skunkiest weed, you know. Um, and so that I believe was a Death Star Cross Sour Diesel. Or it might have been a Sensi Star Cross Sour Diesel, a remake of the Death Star Cross. But it's one of those. And um, it was nasty. And then I got some weed from, from the same guy. And it was what he calls Rubber City. And the Rubber City, I believe, is the Death Star Cross with the Sour. I think the Death Coast is the Sour Cross Sensi Star. So the rubber city, I think, is three quarters sour, and the and the Death Coast is half. But I'm not sure about that. But that's that's how I remember it. I don't know. It might be the opposite. But um, it's it's uh, it's just it's it's skunky. Like it's just the skunkiest shit. Like if you want skunky stuff, and I I haven't um, I don't know. I haven't seen other stuff that I that I would say really smells like skunk and I haven't grown everybody's so-called skunk but when I ask people when they're growing it out kind of everybody's like oh so-and-so said it's skunky it's not skunky and I'm like okay well there there you go they said it's not skunky like you seen you know CSI on that he's like I don't know if there's a way to make them skunky but they ain't skunky so I don't you know I don't really know um you know, I don't know what to make of all that, but uh, but that that stuff is that's bomb. Like I would recommend if people want something skunky, get those. And then I think people have this weird thing of of wanting like something to appear that's going to be like literally smell like a dead skunk. And I just I'm like I don't know. I've seen thousands and thousands of plants, and from back in the day when skunk was really common, and we didn't even really think much of it. And I, I didn't ever really smell anything that was more like a dead skunk than like super skunk or death coast or, you know, like this grape lime skunk thing that I have, which I would say is, is, is way not as skunky as death coast, but which is, it has another little dimension to it, which is kind of this wet dog, um, coffee thing that I get from when I smell a real skunk spray like i i had a house where there was a there was a place where like some some wiring got off of one of the holes and i had a skunk go under my house and spray my house twice so like i'm very familiar with a fucking skunk you know what i mean i've i've been in a car that went over a skunk that was an old car that was pretty rickety and it sprayed us directly under the car and like your eyes burn and there's certain smells and like those particular smells there's these certain aspects um and mine i wouldn't say is the intense like dead skunk like that but it it has some it has those things that i think make up um that smell but i'm still i'm still not like this is the fucking roadkill skunk like, i don't even know what that is i never saw anything called roadkill skunk in the 90s i saw a lot of fucking weed but i didn't see everything um but I, you know, I, I question a little bit this whole uh, 
I question the whole, you know, hunt for it a little bit and think that um, weed smells a lot skunkier to you when you don't have very much weed, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of different angles we could work that one from, but I'm glad you brought it up that the, uh, the grape lime skunk of yours, I remember still to this day, you know, being at Emerald Cup and you gave me that bud to smell and I took it over to Skunk VA and we both immediately agreed that was the most insane skunk turps we'd ever smelt in a long time. Do you have any plans to try to lock that one down in seed form at all? I mean, whether it be just, you know, to do the F1s, which was what I kind of smelt, or to line work it, to back cross it, anything sort of like that up your sleeve? Well, so I had that one, and it was funny because I only had one plant of it, and it was this gorgeous plant. So I ran through a bunch more, and uh, I found some nice ones. So I let out a little bit of F2s of those from a nice grape skunky one um, with a lot of the grape funk to it. And then from those same males that I pulled out of those, um, I put those back on the lime one, and I put out a little bit of that as lime one back cross because it was lime one cross grape soda skunk was what the grape lime skunk um, clone was that you smelled. So I took its brother and put that back on two twin brothers, actually, and put that back on the lime one um for line one back cross so that wasn't so much shooting for the skunk side as it was shooting for more of the lime um and then i did uh i made f3s with everything that i got that was real stable out of those so i think there's maybe eight of those uh three different males done separately in that breeding one of them that was just very loud skunk plant. The whole plant just smelled really, really skunky. Um, two more that smelled a little bit more like the original grape lime skunk clone that you saw. So I took that original grape lime skunk clone that you saw, I crossed it with three different males separately. So there's three different lines back crossed. I made F3s with three different males separately. So there's, um, I guess maybe there's 10 lines of it in F3 now, eight of which are with my favorite male, two of which are with the, the females that matched the other two males I kept most closely. Um, and that's just an attempt to do that. And I gave those actually to Skunk VA because he said he'd pop them. And I know he knows skunk terps. Um, so, you know, we'll see if he finds anything. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't, cool. And if he does, right on. And um, I had the F2s. I had a lot of them. Everything that didn't smell where the whole plant didn't smell like a skunk, I gave them to one of my buddies, and he put them in like 200-gallon pots. And I think I gave him 30 of them, maybe 25. And I went out and checked on them when they were really chunky, 
And some of them had but some colas that were like damn near like loaves of bread, you know? They were huge fucking colas where you're like, that's got to be rotten, but they weren't because it just has really the grape and the lime both have great mold resistance because they're based on old gorilla strains, you know? And um, out of those 25 that I thought wouldn't be skunky, there were probably five or seven that were like really skunky like whoo shit that's skunky bud you know and um then out of the ones that i kept that were the ones that i really liked the most which i think was 10 of them out of mine was the same deal probably the same only the same ratio which means that the whole plant smelling like a skunk doesn't necessarily determine whether or not the flower is going to smell like a skunk so that's kind of shit to keep track of because some strains, the stem rub means a lot, and some it means less. So um, that means that just because the males I kept were skunky doesn't mean they'll necessarily throw skunk. But I back cross now to the one you smelled, and then I'll plant that. And out of those, I'll find something that's the closest to it, and I'll back cross to it again. And... What I'd like to see is that the back cross has more of that plant in it than the F2s. And if it doesn't, then I'll try another back cross. But if it doesn't increase at that point, then it's kind of an indication that that plant doesn't like to breed true. Um, it could also mean that I'm just not picking the right males. Um, but... It's pretty, you know, like you want to see when you back cross to something that the frequency of that type goes up fast. And if it doesn't, then it makes you know that you're probably better off going F2, F3, F4 rather than going back on a back cross. Um, so, you know, that's my experimentation with it at this point. People are growing out the back cross. People are growing out the F3s. Um and, you know, we'll see what works out of it. And the cool thing is I have the clone, you know. So I, I have a plant that smells like that weed. I just, uh, you know, I'd like to see it in seed form. I'm not going to take that, not going to take that and say, oh, yeah, you only have to grow six, six fucking uh, packs to get one that smells like this and then put skunk on the label. That's like, doesn't make any sense. I'll call, I can call it grape lime skunk. You need a grape lime and skunk, but. Um, you know, if it can get to the point where it's skunky, skunky, that would be, that would be cool. And then I took that too, and I crossed it with a death star because the death star was really skunky, almost as skunky as the death coast. And, uh, out of that, there might be more skunk, but for me, I feel like that's cheating a little bit because it's using super skunk from the diesel. And I, what I want to do is bring skunk out of the old, um, Afghani stuff that's in the grape and the lime. Um, just it's more of a kind of like a challenge. Uh, but in the meantime, I don't mind doing doing a cheat and just seeing if that will make it work too. You know, because they both if they both have it coming from both sides, you might get a lot more of it. Should get a quarter taking two two things that have it in there. Um, but that's not necessarily true because it might not be frequent at all in the gene pool. But we'll find out. So that's the that's the uh, 
um, that's where I went with that this time. Sure. And I mean, a question which kind of stems off what you were just talking about, but I'll make it a little more hypothetical so that hopefully it makes it easier to answer. Let's just say someone out there who's listening has managed to find themselves, a, they've, they've made a cross and they've pheno hunted the seeds and they find one plant in those seeds, which totally unlike the mother or the father, you know, like let's say mum's mango, dad's OG, it's blueberry, you know, like it, it's just really left of field to both parents and you, you're really not sure what traits are coming from what parent because it's just that really unique sort of phenotype. Uh-huh. Would Would you try to line work that or back cross it like how would you go about trying to lock in that super super unique phenotype would it be trial and error or do you think for those super like one in a thousand phenos it's probably actually not very easy to get that into then a seed form well some people won't like to hear it but the way that you really want to do things like that is you want to take that blueberry plant and self it Find the same exact plant again, even if it was out of one out of a thousand. When you self it, it should be a little more frequent than one out of a thousand. Then you want to grow those out. Find the plant that's the same again. And if you have to, self that one again. Every time you self, you're going to lock it down more and more. And then... You know, you can take that blueberry plant and take a male out of the same cross and go and, 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 and breed to that and, you know, make your, make your F3 and then take your F3 male that you think is the closest to the blueberry plant, put it back on the blueberry and then hope you get some blueberries out of that. And then out of those seeds find the one that's the closest once again and go back. And then if you see that you're starting to get more blueberries every time, you can just continue black. You can continue back crossing to the blueberry, you know, until you want, until it winds up being, you know, really frequent and you just get a lot of blueberry in there. Then at that point would be where it would be better to breed it forward because you, 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 you're basically targeting in, you know, you're getting it to the point where, there's more and more and more of this one thing that you want. Um, and then, you know, if that, if that didn't work at all, then like I said, you know, selfing it is really the best way because if you get one out of a thousand is blueberry, then you self it and you get one out of whatever that next time, but you find that one out of the S1s, and you self that one, and you find that same one out of the S2, by the time you make the S3 or the S4, you're going to have something where that's what it has. They're just mostly all blueberry, right? So then at that point, you might be better off crossing to the S3 or the S2 or the S1. You might be better back crossing to that lots of times because it might be a lot more um, true breeding, you know. And uh, you know, there's just a question of finding those those right things. And I mean, as far as like modern breeders would look for, they'd look for whatever those genes are, and just go, okay, we're just going to test this plant and see if it's the right one. Test a thousand males and find the one that actually has those same genes, and that's how you would do it if you were like a real, um, you know, a real 
breeder in the in the most advanced sense of of the of the of the you know discipline or the job um but you know in reality if you were somebody like if you were big agriculture and you want this crop to get ready and you want to be able to go okay we're going to get this into seed form as quick as possible you would self 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 so you would you would you would make the s1 then you would find the exact same plant maybe improved ideally definitely you don't want to settle for one that's not you don't want to settle for one that's worse. And then you want to take that S1 and you want to self it. And then you want to find one of the S2s that maybe is a little bit improved or maybe a lot improved if you can. And then you want to make the S3. And then, you know, by the time you get something to be in like, you know, five generations, seven generations of selfing, that's what they're really talking about when they tell you about a true inbred line. There's different ways to 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 define an inbred line or an IBL, but like in a most true true sense, it would be like selfing for several generations, and then you could get to the point where you basically had clone in seed form, where the plant would be exactly the same. Now, if you just back cross seven times, and the plant you were back crossing to doesn't ever want to be super, it doesn't want to be the only thing in the mix anyway because it already has a it's coming from a diverse gene pool, then you sometimes will make it work, but it's more likely that you won't. And you'll wind, what you'll wind up with is the same gene pool it came from just coming back again and again as if it's an S1. S1s aren't really consistent. Back crosses aren't necessarily consistent. S1s are very consistent if they came out, if they, you take an S1, out of something that's already super consistent, yeah, then you get what people think an S1 is. But that's not the case when you when you S1 something from a really inconsistent gene pool or where you back cross to one plant from a really inconsistent gene pool unless you get lucky and all the traits that you wanted from that plant happen to be dominant and then it doesn't matter if it was inconsistent because dominant traits are just going to want to pop out frequently, you know? more than other stuff but you have to kind of you have to kind of play with them to know exactly what the individual is you're working with to know if it's just gonna throw everything you want like you might back cross back cross back cross and then turns out well now you've just made a super consistent strain but it has one thing locked in you can't get rid of like it's sexually unstable or it's prone to a disease you hadn't even maybe you didn't even have that disease and now you get it you go fuck the whole population gets it whereas that the s1s from that plant might not have even had that because you still had some variety so like you know i don't know there's there's a lot of different a lot of different ways to go with it and that's what's so trippy about anytime you want to work with something is you don't you don't necessarily know what's the best way to do it um without trying so that's why it's really good if you're going to work with things to work with things you really like because if you're going to wind up having a lot of failures you want to have failures on your way to something that means something instead of having a bunch of failures on your way to something where even if it works perfect you don't even you're not even going to value it that much you know so you want to work with your favorite stuff so if you fuck up or you waste time or you do the wrong thing and now you have to start over, 
you're still excited, you know, because if you just follow in whatever you're trying to chase, you're trying to make RKS because RKS is hot right now, you know, you know, let RKS pop up for 10 years and see if it stays popular after a while. People are going, eh, it's good, but it's, you know, it's actually not really. I mean, and then in back in the day, a lot of stuff was skunky and we didn't even, we weren't even that excited about it unless it was like what I said, like the pissy pungent or the, the super skunk where it actually smokes good and translates just smelling like a skunk. Not necessarily anything. It doesn't, it, the weed also has to be enjoyable and have a good high and taste good and burn right and hopefully grow good and yield well. And you know, like I, like what is RKS? rosin tastes like it might fucking taste like nothing nobody even knows there's a whole new generation of uh of of uses for stuff so um you know make sure you like something before you go fucking chasing it because everyone's talking about it and there you have it gang what a great first half of an epic interview with the man himself, Mean Gene. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Gene. We appreciate it as always. Likewise, we appreciate our sponsors. Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the game. They got some freeborn selections. Go check them out if you want all the hottest genetics in the game. They just got a fresh drop from CSI Humboldt. That's my pick. Likewise, Coppet Biological Systems. They've got that beneficial army to keep your garden happy, healthy, and the next crop on track to be the best to date. Go check out the website. I guarantee you it pays to keep the garden happy and healthy. Coppet Biological Systems. They're the one. You know it. And last but not least, a huge shout out to the Patreon gang. You guys are the lifeblood of the show. You know it. I hope you enjoy getting early access to this episode, hearing it before the rest. And if you want to become a part of the Patreon family, please go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. You'll get early access to episodes, unheard, unreleased content, giveaways, and so much more. Thank you so much, Patreon gang. I appreciate you and the sponsors so very much. Stay tuned for part two of our epic interview with the meme master himself, breeder extraordinaire, Mean Gene of Mendocino. I'll see you there. We'll see you.